What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 111 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Derek Bittner, and this week I'm joined by Ash Polson and John Cartwright. No Andre this week, as he's still working on his analysis of King K. Rule's reveal in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. So, yeah, that's kind of important and, and definitely going to take some time, because... I don't know, when he really likes something, then when he analyzes it, he goes for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, even even your bog-standard analysis can take quite a while. I mean, I did my first ever, I think my first ever solo analysis with mm-hmm. the Smash Ultimate menu one, and even that was fairly standard, and it took pretty much the whole day. Oh, between, yeah. like, you know, writing the script, you know, finding all the information, and, you know, just going over everything, and then editing the audio, recording it, it pretty much took the day so it's it's a big undertaking it's not a short it's not a short prospect that's for sure and yours was <laughs> yeah. only seven minutes long i think so like i think it was only. eight but yeah basically yeah only because i mean <laughs> you technically did one before because you'd got you did most of the work for the anal and uh, from the analysis of Mega man 11 that's true that's true i did i think you actually recorded it but i i helped you gather the information and such yeah and actually, yeah. speaking of which, we don't have this in the news topics. I, I just reminded myself of this. You might not have seen this, Ash. They announced oh, that I know in, what you're septem- gonna say. in September that the, they're releasing the Mega Man 11 demo, which, yes, I finally get the pl- chance to play it. <laughs> that is awesome. And yeah, no, it's funny because the, the news didn't really make the rounds. And I think that's because it came out during all this Smash Brothers Ultimate hype. But yeah, I heard about that. And I'm, I'm of two minds on it because on one hand, hell yes, I'm so glad people can play it. I'm glad they're raising awareness of it before it comes out. On the other hand... Capcom, just don't leave things in there that oh. can be data mined. Just oh. like, just protect your inf- protect that game, <laughs> protect your information. <laughs> don't let people data mine the hell out of it before it comes out. I don't want spoilers about Mega Man Eleven just up on the internet the day after that demo goes live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to protect so your precious Capcom. <laughs> yeah, just be careful with it. That's all I'm I'm saying. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully they're smart enough. Yeah, I, I'm not necessarily expecting it because, I mean, even if, you know, even with the Smash Brothers Ultimate or Smash Brothers Wii U patches, toward the very end, they were still leaving stuff in there that could be data mined. So I'm not expecting them to be to really, you know, cover themselves here, but I hope they do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember when the 9 and 10 were coming out, they had those demos for, I think it was Concrete Man. Uh, yeah, the E3 demo for Nine had only Concrete Man and oh, that's right. So E3 uh, E3 had Concrete Man and Plug Man, but I think the pre-release public demo only. had Oh, Concrete I was talking Man. about Mega Man Nine. Is it Concrete Man for Eleven? I forget that. I'm blanking on the name for. It's been a while oh, since I con- played Nine. Yeah, Concrete it's- Man for Nine, but you're probably thinking of Block Man for Eleven. Yeah, no, I was thinking of Nine. You were thinking of, of Brick Man <laughs> because I was talking about how Nine had a demo release for people in the public right back yeah. when it was coming out, and it was only it was, the Concrete yeah. Man stage. Yeah, no, and there was also an E3 demo that had Concrete Man and Plug Man. Oh. That's what I was saying. Oh, I'm thinking Pulse Man, or what is it? Or, yeah, I was like, oh, you're thinking uh, Plug Man. Plug Man. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's too many mans. <laughs> too many mans, yeah. man. Like, I, so there's, there's th- Plug Man in 9 and Fuse Man in 11. Oh, my God. That's probably God. what you're thinking. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, Fuse Man. There's so many. Jeez. Yeah, it's, there's so many that are so adjacent just because they're of similar theming, like Torch Man and Magma Man, you know? Yeah, or, you know, Fire Man or... Heat Man, yeah. or <laughs> take your pick. Exactly. <laughs> That's why we need more women. I can keep them. Like, I, I know who Splash Woman is. Exactly. I know. I'm actually still surprised that there wasn't another female Robot Master in Eleven. I feel like that was kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I, you're, you're a Mega Man player, right, John? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm more, way more casually than you guys, but I'm still, I've still played a fair chunk of them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to it. And actually, speaking of Mega Man stuff, how much of the uh, Mega Man cartoon did you get to check out, Ash? 
Uh, with all this Smash Brothers Ultimate stuff happening, not at all. I, I will say uh-huh. that uh, I, I've watched the first three episode previews, and I I will admit that I think it was the episode two or three preview where he's fighting Fireman, and there's a part where he thinks that Fireman has killed a bunch of humans, and he starts getting actually angry and kind of losing his mind a little bit. And I'm like, okay, there's a flash of the Mega Man I know and love there, and I actually like that characterization, but I still hate the way he looks, and mm-hmm. I hate the way he sounds, and I just... Ugh, I, Oh, I can't. Mega Mini drives me crazy. <laughs> I can't stand that guy. Mega Man, Mega Mini has probably annoyed me the least. Like, yeah, Mega Man. I think Mega Man himself is worse than Mega Mini. When the it's, it's I only bad, watched the first yeah. two episodes. Well, you've watched more than I have. Then I actually have meant to go and like watch the episodes, and so I can properly oh, okay, be ready so you to talk seen about them. In context, I think Mega Mini works. There's no explanation okay. behind him whatsoever. Uh, it, it, it's, it really isn't. I don't know what's going on there. And it's interesting that the role equivalent in this uh, series, I think her name's Suna, um, uh-huh. she's actually human. Right. So uh-huh. I, that, I, that's, that's an interesting take. But, uh, you know, God, this this Commander Knight or whatever comes out is like villain. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That, that's really obvious right away. Fireman's design is fine. The reason, like, he goes rogue works for lack of a better term uh you know there's a nice joke of him trying to lift up a um sewer drain and he can't because he has no hands which kind of reminds me of the um uh Mega Man comic like there are flashes of good things in here but then you get to get lines like uh like robots and humans don't belong together or don't they don't they don't they are enemies or something to that effect and Mega Man yeah. just says that's not nice yeah, I'm it's like, really it's just too on the nose, and it doesn't. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's I need like to it. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, like it's like they go for the obvious story beats of like that are common to all versions of Mega Man, but they don't really go beyond that. They're just like, yeah, this is something that Mega Man would not agree with, and then he doesn't agree with it, and that's it, and then it just moves on. It's like they don't investigate it at all, like they did in the comic. Like that Mega Man Archie comic was so good mm-hmm. because it was obviously kid friendly, but it didn't dumb down. It didn't dumb itself down to kids. It was it was you know challenging and it was like okay this is a realistic take on on some of the the complexities that would happen in a society like this and and it was really cool the way that it it, uh displayed those kinds of things realistically for a kid-friendly comic whereas Mm -hmm. this show is just very much a kind of a bog standard you know kid-friendly cartoon in the modern era and just they're all so similar and plus this this exact setup has been done for Mega Man before in another comic that wasn't successful that Dreamwave Mega Man comic did the exact same thing as this and that wasn't successful either plus we've seen Battle Network and Star Force do a version of this story much better mm-hmm. so it's like you know we've seen this kind of oh you know Mega Man and a trying to be a normal kid and and you know existing with humans in a school setting it's like we've seen this done before <laughs> the thing mm-hmm. that thing got me the most uh, that I did not see coming because it's like, where's Wiley? What's happened to Wiley? Shouldn't he be the villain in this or whatever? Uh, and then there's a kid in his class named Bert Wiley. Oh man, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and he ha- and he has the W symbol on his shirt. It's like, oh, okay, geez. is it his son, his nephew? Where's the Wiley connection going to come from? Like, it- it's going to happen, and it's just this nerdy, this redhead, weird kid. It's like, oh no, <laughs> don't do this. Uh, oh man, yeah. I mean, I, I I'll give them points for. I will say Suna. I like that they're that they're making the the cast a little more diverse via Suna. Like mm-hmm. Mega Man could have, has always been able to use a little more diversity, so I'll give them that point. But 
everything else. Ugh. I said that that <laughs> characterization of Mega Man where he gets really pissed off and sure, I'll take that. I like it, but God, he looks so bad. He just looks so bad. <laughs> yeah, like I like the art when it's in two D, but it's like when yeah. they see like there's no weight behind it. Like you, you watched some of it, didn't you, John? Like you saw the weightlessness. I've watched of it? the trailers, and the combat looks so weak. <sighs> yeah, uh, when, when Mega Man um, just shoots any of the robot ma- masters, they don't flinch. They just sort of stand there. They take it, and nothing happens. It just it, there's no punch behind any of it. I'm kind of wondering, are, are there any good action scenes in this so far? It's worse. Well, yeah. It's worse, yeah. John, because it's I worse. Saw, I literally saw a shot hit a building behind uh, fi- uh, Fireman at one point, and it literally just went poof. <laughs> like, there was oh nothing to it. There was no impact, no damage to the building, whatever. It just poof. There's no danger in this. Well, and, and that's the thing. That, that's the problem, with I, I feel like, with kids' cartoons these days, is that they're so neutered and watered down and so afraid to, like be offensive or, or challenge kids at all that they are safe and there's they don't just feel safe they are like you know that Mega Man's going to be completely fine and not only that but where's the logic in I mean we assume that Mega Man kind of knows what he's doing even if this is a new version of him where's the logic in, in Mega Man using fire fireman's power against <laughs> fireman what yeah <laughs> like that's dumb. why would that why would he do that that is that's really catch a move right there yeah, pretty much. Also, he's keeping the fact that he's Mega Man from uh, Dr. Light. What? How does that work? Like, how did yeah. he get these powers? Wait, That's... hang on, what? Exactly! <laughs> what? <laughs> That's who he's keeping yeah. his secret identity from. It's, it's, it's from Dr. Light. Only Suna knows who he is. It's like, what? <laughs> well, well, do we know Do we know his origin story in this no, yet? No, like, they, who... do not, they okay, did not reveal it in the first two episodes, so I don't know what that is. Uh, also, Dr. Light is strangely buff. Yes, he is. I noticed that. He's really buff, which is strange to see. And, I mean, I'm always I'm, I'm down for, for new and creative takes on established characters. There's nothing wrong with that, but just the, the direction they're taking with this. I don't know. if I, I don't even know if I expect it to get past this first batch of episodes. I guess we'll see how well it does, but I think it has, like, the 6.30 or 6 o'clock a.m. slot on Cartoon Network, like if you're not watching via the app but on TV, I think it has a really bad time slot, which kind of speaks to how little confidence I think they have in it. Yeah, and I mean, it basically, like, I there's, it's Ben 10. I mean, yeah, this is done by Man yeah. of Action, but this is Ben 10. Like, Dr. Light is Grandpa, Suna yeah. is Gwen, Ben is Mega Man, all that stuff. It works. You got your uh, wisecracking guy who's on the side who's not necessarily anybody just sort of taking that aspect of Ben and putting it into Mega Mini and there you go that's that's it's really it um, although there is one I did read in the previews like I did not see Rush so I don't know this new interpretation of Rush and I did see in one of the previews that they did make a new robot master a new female robot master so I am curious about that take especially because I did like Quake Woman in uh, the right. Mega Man comics yeah, I did too. It was like she was a well-considered new character. And, you know, I do think that there's a way, you know, they could make this show really interesting. Like, it's not impossible. Even if they have to use this this design of Mega Man, this could be something good. But I just think they're going to continue to play it safe because it's a, again, it's just a, it's supposed to be a kid-safe, very watered-down cartoon. And it's a shame. I think it could be more, but I don't think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. 
an adaptation of the comics would be perfect, but it won't happen. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, that would be that would be perfect. And you know, but maybe it's best that it don't because if it did keep going, imagine what they might do to like you know if they really try to bring in characters like X and and put their own spin on on characters like that and <laughs> oh, God. Zero and I, that that would uh, just be heartbreaking. God, so it might be best. The, do you remember the interpretation of X in uh, the oh, old yes. Mega Man cartoon? Did you see that one, John? Oh. I don't think I have actually. Oh, you need to look at oh, the clips. Oh my god! Yeah, Mex is like oh, you have to. Mex X is like a murdering psychopath, psychopath in this. I'm sold already. <laughs> oh, it's amazing! Like, yeah, he's he's like the the buff GI Joe version of Mega Man, who just loves violence, and he's like, you know, the ends justify the means, and I'm just going to destroy everything if it means, uh, you know, uh, apprehending Sigma and randomly it's Sigma and Spark Mantle. No, it's for some uh, reason. violent. It's violent. Oh, Spark sorry, Man. violent Spark Mandrel. Yeah, and it's just I don't know why they chose Spark Mandrel, and it's like, yeah, they they mention Sigma, but violent Spark Mandrel are who come through the time portal, and it's just. It's so bad. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll apprehend them by any means. He's like a future police cop guy. Yeah. It's, like, really bad. He's also, like, twice the size of Mega Man, which, who's already taller than he usually <laughs> is. He's, like, as tall as Dr. Light. So he's just, like, this super huge guy. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. I think the episode's called Mega X. So if you look it up on YouTube, you'll see just how just awful you, you it is, You gotta see it, John. You, you say it's bad, but I'm, I'm sold more on this than, um, than the other cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> It's you no, know, it's it's probably more interesting to watch in its own way, just because it's yeah, it's and also I think if you look, uh, what I was thinking about in terms of Sigma, where I think if you look at a con- like a computer panel in one scene behind a character, you'll see that it says Sigma, but they pronounce they uh, spell it with a C, oh and my so God. and which is just like yeah. I I, that, I watched that cartoon as a kid, and for years I thought Proto Man was a bad guy because of it. <laughs> Like oh yeah, no that that may still even though Proto Man is obviously a good guy and he's supposed to be that may still be my favorite characterization of him yet just because his he was such a dickhead and he would just have this like you know let's have a mega battle in Mega City little bro and he just was <laughs> so condescending and just kind of like that jerk off brother who uh-huh. you just never. Oh, you're such a dick. But my I loved my it. favorite clip is like he goes, he's like, they're fighting in front of the the Lincoln statue, <laughs> and rather so than good. shoot Mega Man, he points at he points at the Lincoln <laughs> statue, and Mega Man dives in front of it, takes the shot, and Proto Man's like, ha, I knew you'd go and try to save Mister Lincoln. Goody yeah, two shoes, like oh my god! And Mega Man's like, oh no, President Lincoln, and it's like it's a statue, dude. Like, what are you even worried about? I'm Why would you out. take that? Amazing. Yeah, the, oh, it, it was great. the Ruby Spears Mega Man cartoon is not good, but it is entertaining. <laughs> oh yeah, and one of the best things about it too is you can see that they whatever budget they had, they blew one hundred percent of it on the intro because the intro to this day is awesome. It's hype. It gets you. It gets you pumped for the show. It's well animated. It's cool. And then you watch a show, and it's just it's crap. Like the animation <laughs> quality just takes a nosedive. And it's just utter crap. And it's also, but yeah, it's also sad because the the, the pilot of the Ruby Spears show was actually super faithful to the it was the games like like the designs and everything. It was crazy. Yeah, and 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 I still do like some of the characterization of the robot masters in it. Like Gutsman was you know he was he was funny. He was like a construction site foreman type guy. And Cutman will always have an iconic <laughs> yeah. voice to me, where he's like Cutman here to take my cut. And it's like, what are you? What? I love it though. Yeah. Oh man. And the fact that I didn't realize as a kid, but you know, 
rolls the helper robot robot and her oh. arm transforms into a literal vacuum. That's how she helps ev- out, out every time. It's so bad. Like, oh, that that would not so not fly today because <laughs> not only does her not only can she not fight and the way she always fights is as Derek said, her arm turns into a vacuum cleaner, but Mega Man routinely says, you know, she's like, "Come on, Mega, I want to go with you and help." And he's like, "Oh, I I can't have a girl robot coming with me. You just get in my way, little sis." And it's like, "Oh my god." That's so of the time, but that would never fly today. Uh-huh. Nor should it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, so this bad. is the Mega Man Corner. <laughs> I know. Podcast. I love it. We're just talking about the Mega Man cartoon. But yeah. uh, what have you guys been playing lately? Yeah. What have you been up to, John? Um, so a lot of this week has just been us sort of um, dissecting Smash. But I've been playing through Spirit Tracks for the next Super Scope episode. And uh, as you guys know, I did not like Phantom Hourglass. But Spirit Tracks is surprisingly delightful, and it's, it's actually quite surprising because it uses the same foundation as Phantom Hourglass, but uh, it, it has so many fresh ideas. Um, in fact, right at the beginning, there's this one puzzle where it's pretty much the same as a Phantom Hourglass puzzle, whereas in Phantom Hourglass, the, the stone will read, pull these blocks, and it will say, like, what order to pull these blocks in. Whereas in Spirit Tracks, it'd be a bit more vague, and it will say, like, pull the top block before the bottom block, or pull the left block before the right block. So that way you're taking notes about which ones you're actually going to pull, rather than just copying the answer. And that's just way more clever than Phantom Hourglass ever was. And what surprised me about this, actually, is um, there was a thread on Resetera about my Phantom Hourglass episode. And there were so many comments saying, how can this be the worst one when Spirit Tracks exists? And I'm just like, what? That's, that's, <laughs> Spirit that's Tracks insane. Is, it's, not, it's not the worst one by any means. It's not the best one. But it's, it's definitely up there. It's definitely far away from the worst one. I have no idea why anyone can say that Spirit Tracks is worse than Phantom Hourglass. I don't know why. I don't know why the the train scared people off so much because I remember vividly when I first played Phantom Hourglass, you had to roll into trees, and I tried for fifteen minutes to try to get the the motion right to get Link to roll into a tree uh, in Phantom Hourglass. Mm-hmm. It was a nightmare. And then I tried the same thing in Spirit Tracks when I finally got that game, and it happened immediately. I'm like, oh, this is already way better and more interesting. The fun- the, the ironic thing is, I never actually finished Spirit Tracks. Oh, I need to go back okay, and do that. Finished- Did you finish Phantom Hourglass? Yeah. Oh, I think- oh you okay. should finish Spirit Tracks. It's yeah, you really should. I mean, the, the finale is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I think I was determined, and then I was just later. I think I, I think the... I think Phantom Hourglass lingered in my thoughts with Spirit Tracks where I could see where it was better, but I also uh-huh. was like, oh, I really, like, I'm not going through the same portions of the towers, but I hate the fact that Spirit Tracks has this tower just like uh, Phantom Hourglass, and I just sort of stopped, and I, I need to go yeah. back. I really do need to go back. Yeah, because yeah, that, that central dungeon in Spirit Tracks is way better than the Temple yeah. of the Ocean King. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not even really the same premise. I mean, you are you are returning there, but you're not doing the same rooms over and over again. And each time you return there, there's a new gimmick going on. So, like, I think the second one you're traversing through lava with Zelda. Um, the third one, I trying to recall what that was. I think you have to like um, you're taking down phantoms with Zelda. Mm-hmm. So each time there's like a new gimmick to um, to the tower, and it feels like just like another dungeon really, rather than this tedious thing you have to go through each time. Yeah, um, yeah, but there's also like there's only four dungeons in Spirit Tracks, which I actually I forgot about that completely because Phantom Hourglass has eight, um, but Spirit Tracks is longer, and yeah. um, I, I'm trying. I think a lot of that time might be the longer traversal in the overworld, um, because there isn't that much padding really. I mean, there's a couple of times where uh, this is one time where you're you're in the overworld and you're meant to be going to the next segment of of the world that you've just unlocked. 
Um, but you first have to go all the way back to the last segment and pick up a passenger and then take him to this bridge to fix. So that, that, that is padding, and that takes a while. Mm-hmm. But um, apart from that, I can't really think of that many times where the game holds your progress. So I don't know, I don't know where the time goes, really. I guess, I, I don't know, actually. I think it might be um, the temple that you go to, the, the, the recurring one. I think you, you're in there a bit longer. But um, obviously you're not doing the same stuff again, though. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, Sp- Spirit Tracks is night and day across the board better than Phantom Hourglass, and I really... Like, I really don't know how to take seriously people who are like, oh, yeah, you know, Phantom Hourglass is so much better. There's no way. Like, it's it's just the, the two are so far apart in quality. And I think, unfortunately, Spirit Tracks suffered by kind of being in Phantom Hourglass's shadow in, in the sense that not a lot of people did like Phantom Hourglass. And so people assumed that it just because it looked so similar that it just had to be another kind of subpar you know, uninspired Zelda game. And that couldn't be further from the mm. truth. Like, Spirit Tracks really is great. And it yeah. also, from the from the story and character and lore point, it's also way better than Phantom Hourglass. Like, it actually has characters you care about, like like uh, Angine and Burn. And the way Spirit Tracks ends is it is fully reflective of the potential of having a sequel to Wind Waker, more mm-hmm. way more than Phantom Hourglass was. Like, talk about wasting potential. You had this yeah. amazing setup for this. Brand new timeline where anything could happen, you know, fresh start, Hyrule's flooded on underneath the ocean, Ganondorf's gone, what are we going to do? And then they go with Phantom Hourglass. And it's like, what? <laughs> Why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I know I know a lot of people like Linebeck. I like Linebeck. But he is yeah. literally the only thing um, that, that has going for Phantom Hourglass's story. I can't. I've, I played it last week, and I can barely recall any other characters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and Linebeck is also in Spirit Tracks. Like he, his right. descendants in Spirit Tracks, so you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, and, and I, I know some people like. They, I mean, I love Tetra in Wind Waker, and some people um, point to Tetra in Phantom Hourglass. But she's literally in it for like three minutes. <laughs> yeah, she's exactly. not they butchered, in, I, they butchered her character too. I, I was upset I, about that when she immediately disappeared in Phantom Hourglass. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. they totally butchered her character, as you said. But, the, but yeah, all she does the entire game is like, you, every time you boot up the game, there's a there's a sequence of Tetra just saying, "Help me, Link," and that is literally all she does until you God. rescue her. Yeah, I, uh, I I do like I didn't play through the whole thing. I think I got to the second dungeon is where I ended up stopping for whatever reason. Um, but I did remember that this the Zelda in Spirit Tracks is super memorable. Like, oh yeah, probably one of the best. better ones too. Uh, just because yeah. she actually has a character arc, which is really interesting. Like it's it's fascinating to see this more spoiled Zelda. Yeah, and I think she's always a reminder um, of your goal too because. In Phantom Hourglass, I can't even... Your, your goal is just to save Tetra. Um, whereas in Spirit Tracks, every single time you go towards your train, you see Zelda as a ghost. And that sort of reminds you that your your goal is to save her, because she's dead. Which, <laughs> what, what more of a stake do you need than to uh, resurrect pretty much the main character of the game? And yeah. I, I know I think there's one more complaint that I, I think is kind of legit, which is the Spirit Flutes. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. Where you have to sort of you have to blow into the microphone to play these songs, and I think it's it's fine when the notes are right next to each other, but the songs that have little gaps in between the notes don't always register, and that is a legit complaint. Uh, and I think towards the end, on on the final song when you're about to face the final boss, there's quite a tricky song to play, and that can ruin the pacing of that segment. I think. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, I think there's something to be said for early on in the game when you don't have as many heart containers and you're in the train sequences. Those uh, explosive evil trains, I can't remember what they're called, but the ones that just, you know, try to 
chase you down and explode into you, they do way too much damage. And it can yeah. be quite frustrating to have to navigate around those because it feels like it's too easy to die, I would say, just from those at the, at the beginning of the game. But that's a problem that kind of gets alleviated later on when your train gets more heart containers. Yeah. Agreed, yeah. Um, I also, back to the spirit pipes a moment, actually. I think some people just don't like the idea of control inputs that aren't traditional. Um, I think we saw that with Skyward Saw quite a lot, where people sort of refused to play it because it was so heavy on motion controls. And people don't like blowing into the DS microphone. Um, there were some people who didn't want to play Phantom Hourglass because it was touch-focused. So I kind of think some of those elements might just be people who don't want to play a game without buttons. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I totally see that. Which, and that, that still happens a lot today. Like, when people talk about a Scarlet Sword remaster, um, they always lean towards them ditching the motion controls. No. Which I, I don't think that <laughs> no would way. work. I mean, the, the game's designed fully around motion controls, like all the puzzles, all the combat... You can't just take them out. Yeah. And they, <laughs> and they were brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, they were great for me. I don't understand people who are like, oh, you know, rolling bombs was impossible, and I just can't use the sword at all. I'm like, what? It's got to be your setup, because I, I had no problems with it. Yeah, I was comfortable the yeah, entire same. time. Like, the only annoying part for me was I didn't have the Wii Motion Plus, so I had to get the, the uh, accessory uh, in order to uh, play it. So I was constantly changing batteries, and it was a pain in the butt to get the... Oh, yeah. Uh, Condom mm-hmm. on and off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, Skyward Sword, though, I mean, that's – that you can't you, – you, those things are so inextric- inextricably linked. You can't separate the motion controls from that game. It's designed around them, and it wor- they worked really well. So, you know, I don't know if we'll ever see a remaster of it, but if they ever do one, I certainly wouldn't want them to – to get rid of that because that's just – that's part of that game's identity. There are other yeah. problems with Skyward Sword that I would like to see them kind of – you know, improve upon. But again, my main problem with Skyward Sword is not something they can really fix, which is the world design. It's the you know the segmented world design where it's just mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a particularly interesting game to explore around in. It's just none of the areas are that interesting to me. And the fact that they're all segmented just really takes away from that feeling of exploration that you get in games like The Wind Waker and Ocarina of Time and Twilight Princess and such. But yeah. still, it's still worth playing, and it does certain things better than any other Zelda game. Like, I would say storytelling, it oh, might God, be yeah. among the best Zelda games. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think Skyward Sword's a very good argument that longer games aren't always better games. Yeah, I, I feel like Skyward Sword was a 20-hour game that was drawn out to be a 40-hour game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And there, there are segments I think you could cut, and it would make for a better game. Yeah. They, they could cut every segment that has anything to do with the imprisoned, and it would be a unilaterally, <laughs> objectively twice. better game across only, the board. You should only have had to fight that thing twice. <laughs> but then you fight him again in Hyrule Warriors. Yeah. Oh, Jeez. no. Again uh, and again and again yeah. and again. Like, Hyrule Warriors, it's almost worse because you, you play through that entire game. If you try to 100% that game, you will have fought that thing well over 300 times. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And it's such a shockingly like un Nintendo fight too. Like I, I'm really shocked that 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 imprisoned fight got into the game the way it was because it's just so not Nintendo, and it's just it's not a fun fight. It's not well that the concept isn't great. It's not well thought out. It's just it's so it's very unlike Nintendo. Yeah, and then it has yeah. one of the most satisfying boss fights in a Zelda game in there. The one where you fight that giant mechanical thing and you pick up its arm and just. Oh yeah! Slice, slice the crap out of it. That is one of like I felt so empowered fighting that thing. I was like, I've never had that feeling with a Zelda boss before, where I'm like, yeah, yeah. kick its ass. That was you know, cool. 
all of the Scarred Sword boss fights, they all incorporate motion plus to some extent, apart from the Imprisoned, who is literally, you just, you hit his feet, which you could do with buttons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, yeah, that, that was just such an uninspired boss fight that goes against so many of Scarred Sword's principles. Oh, I don't want to yeah. think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you done anything else besides uh, Smash Ultimate and uh, and uh, Zelda? And Spirit Tracks. Um, I, I downloaded Okami because I, I edited um, Ash's review for that. Mm-hmm. And the entire time he was just selling me on it. Every, every <laughs> single minute was just... Nice. Like, and I have played Okami before, um, but I've never finished it. And I always get distracted. I played it on, um, I think it was PS2 and PS3. Uh, and I always got maybe five to ten hours in. And I always loved it, but I just never... I don't know, other games um, just... It happens a lot with me. Like, I'll start playing Oh, totally. And then something else gets my attention. Um, But yeah, I'm going to try and finish Akami this time. And I think being on a portable system will will be what um, enables that. Yeah. Well, I'm super happy to hear that. And I I was going through the comments on my review, and and I saw quite a few people saying either that they'd started it in other consoles, but they're going to buy it again, or saying that, you know, my review had sold them on it, which... I'm super happy about just because it really, you know, there, there, there's this un, there's this misunderstanding that like a, a mind-blowing game or a masterpiece has to be perfect. That's not true at all. You can have criticisms about a game that's otherwise mind-blowing. It, it's more of a mindset. It's more of a feeling like, okay, t- this game taken as a whole, yeah, maybe there are some problems here and there, but on the whole, it really is just special and mind-blowing. And that's, you know, you all, I've already seen those comparisons to like, oh, you know, Game Explain, you should be ashamed because you only gave Breath of the Wild a like uh, like it a lot. And it's like, but two different people reviewed that. Yeah, it's not, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's also not gospel. Like, just because we thought or Andre thought it was a like a lot doesn't mean that it's objectively better than or worse than any game that got to love it across the board. It just means that that person liked Breath of the Wild a lot in that time that he reviewed it. Yeah. And we and liked a lot's a really good score, too. Yes. <laughs> it's on a game Octopath Traveler, and I like it. I like I stand by that. It is a good score. <laughs> yeah. I would recommend we Octopath. We talk about um, the mind-blowing rating, actually, because that's our second mind-blowing ever mm-hmm. um, next to Mario Odyssey. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a bit of a debate because it's like, should a port get a mind blowing? Right. right. And, and, and I definitely, you know, yeah, Andre was, you know, we, we definitely had a bit of a back and forth about it in terms of he wasn't like, no, I don't think it's worth it. Just like, hey, we need to really make sure that it is. And I, re- I respect that for sure. And it's just, but I told him, I'm like, you know, yeah, it's a port, but it's the best version for, for reasons I can back up. It's a, the best version of a game that I have been had my mind blown by three separate times in terms of I've, I've finished it three times and prior to this, and it's like, I know the game is phenomenal, and this is the best ver- the best version of it. So, lo- I mean, it's, it was either going to be a mind-blowing or love it if he didn't go for that. I'm like, Andre, I can tell you, love it is the bare minimum here, and it's going to be that or it's mind-blowing. And, and so we talked about it, and eventually he was like, okay, I see what you're talking about. But, you know, I definitely get it because it's not the kind of thing where we want to get into a mindset that, okay – this is the you know, I, this is such a great game. I've got to give it the best rating we have, and that's mind blowing. We like we want to keep mind blowing for very special, yeah. you know, rare occurrences, and not and start we, using it and throwing it around. And we had the same debate when he was about to give Mario Odyssey uh, mind blowing. We were like, "Is this time? Is it worth pulling the trigger on? Do you feel that way? All that stuff." And it's like right. And it was, what's funny is I, yes. I would still say that I, I don't think it, it deserved that rating, and I respect the fact that Andre did, and for him, it blew his mind, and that's why I don't. 
I don't argue with that because it's a very it's not just the game explain review, it's who's reviewing that specific game. Mm-hmm. And if it blew his mind, who am I to argue with that? Personally, I would have given it a love it. But, you know, mm-hmm. hey, if it really did blow his mind that much, then you know, if he can back it up, who are we to argue, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. important. Like we don't agree with each other for certain like how we feel about certain games, but we support each other as far as the, their belief in that review. Like I'm not going to take right. away from anything Andre says or you say or John says. If you guys feel that is great, that's why, and that's why I supported uh, Ted with his uh, Spirit of Justice review. Like, yeah, I mean, oh, right. you guys might not agree with that. You might not like the score, but that's how he felt, and I'm going to like he played it. I know it. That's just his thoughts. I had some people in the comments for my uh, Mega Man, or at least one person, not some, but I think one person in the comments for my Mega Man X Legacy Collection 1 and 2 review that was, they were upset that I gave X Legacy Collection 2 a meh because they were afraid and, and annoyed at me that that would put people off buying both, thus, you know, uh, hampering the chances for an X9. And I'm like, first of all, there's so many things wrong with, with that statement. But it's like, <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to inflate a game's rating just because I hope it sells better so I can get a sequel. I mean, yeah. It's obvious that the second half of that series is so much worse than the first half, and if I didn't, if I wasn't honest about that, I'd be the fool. Like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to just, yeah, I love Mega Man X6 and X7, just so I can get an X9. No, those games are crap. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to, yeah. yeah. I can imagine Capcom just looking at the sales of X2 and being like, whoa, people love, um, of X Collection 2, and be like, yeah. oh, people love this thing. Let's make another one like X7. That's I know, right? Yeah, that's, that's what people <laughs> and that's and, and that was my, my response to them. I'm like, hey, not only is that is that not ethical, but if if and when we do get X9, and I really do think it's a matter of when at this point, mm-hmm. I want to send the message that X9 needs to be like X1 or X4, not like 6 or 7. Yeah. X1, so, X4, like, I'd rather, X8. Yeah. <laughs> Take your pick. Or X8. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, people get really, really, you know, uh, just up in a bunch about review scores. But I still think that that, that that should not be the focus anyway. It should be about the content of the review. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And Yeah. I mean, I've been going back and playing... Um, I picked up finally picked up the Legacy Collections on uh, the Switch and been working my way through the classics. And I had played the classics before on um, PlayStation because that's why that's where I got my original Legacy Collection. Uh, but I was uh-huh. like, you know, I'm going to rebuy. I'm going to might as well replay, go through all 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 the classic games, and then get to the X Collection. And then other stuff has popped up, so I haven't had, had to stop it. But I've beaten the first six games now, and nice. I know five is your favorite. And I mean. I, I, and I was looking at it from like trying to see it from your point of view as I was playing it, and I'm just mm-hmm. I'm not quite seeing it. I just I don't feel it in the same way. Like there's I can recognize its good points where it stands out, but it's also mm-hmm. like it it feels very by the numbers for me. And that's you know hey that's a fair point. I actually I responded to your tweet about that because I I totally agree that that five is absolutely not perfect and it's it's got its flaws. Like I think it has among the worst lineup of special weapons in the series oh, God. like you know the power stone power and, stone is awful and such although it's funny that I, I actually got some use out of the power stone during my playthrough because I oh, got stuck on nice. ladders and would just use oh that yeah to- it is good for that or the gyro attack because you can angle it up or, up or down right but in general yeah I mean 5 has problems but at the same time I just think it's I think it's the most polished of them I think is what it is like the music to me is, is among the best in the series the graphics if you if you compare the visuals on 5 to 6 Six is actually a step down in some ways, surprisingly. Hmm. And Mega Man Five, in my view, is one of the best-looking sounding games on the NES. Which, and I just think that I don't know. You got stuff like the, uh, you got Beat, and you have I don't know. I just feel like it's the most polished 
take on Mega Man NES gameplay. Yeah. And you've got the, the Proto Man story. You've got you know the the cool Wily Castle. The music in Wily Castle is amazing in that game. And I don't know. There, I just think five comes together really well. It also has some of my favorite stage designs in, in the series, like Gravity Man, Wave Man, Napalm Man is another good one. I don't know. I just it. I think it's more than the sum of its parts, but I totally get what you're saying in terms of it's got some some pitfalls too. And I think there's a reason that five is not a popular favorite because it's got those problems. Mm-hmm. But I would love to go back and do like a uh, like do a discussion with you, like looking back on the whole series after you played all ten. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a lot of fun to just kind of deconstruct the various games and talk about your experiences with all ten. Yeah, because everything you just said about five is how I feel about six. I love the level of design. Yeah. I love the multiple. Six paths. is great. I love the rush adapter. Like that's such a clever idea and really changes things up as far as how things uh, go about and can change up your tactics and or whatnot depending on the situation i think that's really cool i think the level design uh, again is great boss design is fun yeah. like i love world tournament stuff like like sure it may, we might be getting into some weird aspects when it comes to designing robots based on certain nations but whatever it's, i think it can <laughs> oh, be man. a lot of fun but i also yeah, flame like, man and tomahawk man have not aged well no but i, I also i love um g gundam and that has some problems as well <laughs> oh that's <laughs> for sure watch yeah. that um, but it, it's still just fun. Like I can turn my brain off from that aspect because I don't think it's malicious, which I think is the bigger. No, it's definitely not. It, it, it's like it's it's this this is the kind of uh, you know soft racism you see, and I and I use racism in quotes. It's not actually not yeah. serious hardcore, but that you see in Street Fighter. How like you know the 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 original eight world warriors are so obviously stereotyped after their various <laughs> you know nations of origin and it's uh-huh. but it's not outright offensive but it's just obviously stereotypical and it's problematic in that way but it's not offen- it's it was never intended to be malicious uh, yeah. like you said how, how do you feel about nightman re- uh, representing the uk <laughs> john <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's perfect representation there you go, there you go. yeah <laughs> And I do like that Nightman and Windman are the only two robot masters to have been designed by Westerners. Yes. That they, they opened up the uh, robot master design oh, contest right. to uh, international contestants. And yeah, uh, Nightman and Windman were done by Westerners, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was really uh-huh. Um I also uh, I got Dragon Quest 8 in. Uh, not 8. Uh, 11, excuse me. <laughs> I, right. brain. I, I cannot nice. ta- I cannot talk about it at all though. I'm I'm I will say that I'm pleasantly I, I did not expect to get this review copy. I, I, I didn't expect you to get it either. No, it's just like they, well, yeah. this is not gonna happen. It's not being published by Nintendo, so we're not automatically gonna get it and getting review copies from Square is like pulling teeth for us. So it's like, well, uh, except oh, in one case, which is really weird. Yeah. In that case is Tomb Raider. Yeah, Shadow like, Tomb they, Raider. they will give us all the Shadow of the Tomb Raider coverage we want. It's the weirdest thing. But anything else are like, now nah, we're just going to ignore you. Yeah. And it's like, we don't have a huge Tomb Raider contingent in our audience. So it's like, why? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't get it. But I'm, I'm really hoping that I can convince people because, hey, you liked Octopath Traveler? Dragon Quest XI uh, is kind of the same idea, just with modern graphics. And it's gorgeous. <laughs> like, I can say that from yeah. preview footage. That's not impressions, uh, Square. Because uh, I, 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 I am for, strictly forbidden from giving any kind of impression toward it. So I can't talk about it too much. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, I, 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 so I this really is a September well. release, right? Yes, it is early September. So it's, it's up against Spyro, Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, it's not in a good oh. position. No, it's no. not. And I think, unfortunately, trying to sell it to our audience, I mean, we have such a strong Nintendo, you know, contingent in our audience. It's We've come up across it or against this before where it's really difficult for us to sell 
straight up games that aren't on Nintendo systems because it's like, oh yeah, this might be fun, but is it on Switch? No, don't care. Like, but <laughs> yeah. but come on, no, it's fine. But this was it the, is coming to Switch eventually. Exactly. This was the first yeah. game announced for the Switch. So <laughs> yeah, NX. Yeah, the NX. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like you know, I, I ran up against that a whole lot with Horizon Zero Dawn, and just like how p- upset people would get when I would talk about how great Horizon is. In addition to Breath of the Wild, like it's had to be one or the other, and it's like no, it, they can both be really good, and they were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I did did get to the movies um, last nice. week as well. I find I, I looked it up because I was going to go see um, Christopher Robin because I still want to see that, but I lo- I looked up as like I wanted to see this for so long and I just haven't had a chance to see if Won't You Be My Neighbor was out and I found a small theater near me that actually was still showing it so I went and saw that and God, that's a good movie. <laughs> Such a good documentary on Mr. Rogers. Um, really hits you a lot of times and I I, may, I, I thought I was going to like ball the entire movie but no, it, it, it's, it does a good job of uh, balancing like the happy moments and the, the touching moments and uh, everything else that's going on, like really showing his life and what he was about. Um, it was really good. But then you get to the final five minutes and it's like, oh, rip my heart out. Uh, like yeah. the final line, like I was good. And then like the final line hits and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> just <laughs> And a lot of people in the theater, because it was just like, again, it was a small theater. Just like, huh. <laughs> at, the, at the end of all yeah. that. It was really, like, yeah. I highly recommend it. Just... I've heard like, really good things. It's it's very yeah. feel good about it, seeing his interpretation, especially in relation to um, other children's entertainment at the time. Like he, right, he, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's very different from what he was doing, and he even talked about how his his reactions to the parodies of him that would come out. Oh, oh, really? Okay, see, so, yeah, I, I, my my wife really wants to see this, and and we it's it's just one of many movies we still need to catch up on. Like we still haven't seen Ant Man and the Wasp. We still haven't seen Mission Impossible Fallout. Like, we've got some catching up to do, as usual. But, (laughs) you know, that's on our list. Uh Uh-huh. Actually, after this, I'm going to see the best movie of the year. Uh, Not really. Um, I'm going to go see The Meg (laughs) with friends. The Meg? What's that? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, it's a movie. It's a Jason Statham movie that's coming out about... It's basically Jaws, except it's a Megalodon. So a super giant ancient shark. Oh, that sounds awesome. Awesome. It is going to be a see that. stupid, stupid movie, but it's with oh, friends, yeah. so whatever. It's going to be fun. Oh, and those are the best <laughs> kinds of movies, too. Like, I love movies like that. Like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, that's going to be great. And it works out because I have the the Stub, Stub Rewards thing with AMC, so it's like I'm not paying anything extra <laughs> for it. It's nice. Like, technically, I've already paid it, so this just works out. So, sure, I'll go see this movie. Why not? I can't remember if I talked about this last week on the podcast. I might have, but my my wife and I did recently rent The Greatest Showman. Yes, on, yes, you uh, did talk Blue- about Okay, that. yeah. And it was just, it was, yeah, the movie part, not great, but the soundtrack just, talk oh, yeah, about mind-blowing. That's a mind-blowing rating right there, that soundtrack. Oh, my God. <laughs> have you seen any but, uh, movies or yeah. something lately, uh, John? Oh, I'm really behind at the moment. Um, yeah, I've, I've not, um, Ant-Man and the Wasp came out in the UK, uh, I think, a week ago. I know it's been out in America for a while, mm-hmm. so that's on my list to see, but I've not seen that yet. Um, yeah, apart from that, I'm really behind. I don't, I don't, th- I don't think Chris, um, Christopher Robin is out here either. Oh, okay. So Disney aren't giving us their movies. Yeah, apparently not. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Um, but apart from that, I'm not really sure what I want to see at the moment. Yeah, um, I'm kind of reaching the... We're in the August territory, so we <clears> could, <throat> I think Slender Man yeah. came out this week. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. So... I mean, yeah, I'm not sure I really want to see that. Yeah, <laughs> um, 
I, I do want to see Christopher Robin a lot though. That mm. looks really touching. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, my um, I'm I'm quite behind and I need to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will, I will before we move on. I got one more thing to say, and it's because because I've been doing all the this Castlevania research for the uh, the analysis and uh, the video went up uh, just now for us where uh, where I went over the music and whatnot. I was like, man, I want to play some Castlevania games, but I do not have the time for it. <laughs> like I am so mm. in such a mood to play Castlevania games, and I actually looked at the series like, what games don't I own in this series? And other than Circle of the Moon. Um, Oh, what was it? Circle of the Moon. Uh, was it a DS one? Uh, oh, no. Castlevania one? Bloodlines for the Genesis. Oh, uh, no, okay. Circle okay. of the Moon's a Game Boy Advance one. And then the Game Boy titles I never played. Otherwise, I own pretty much all the main series Castlevania games. Did you play the WiiWare um, Castlevania Adventures? No. How was that? It, was, it wasn't bad. It was pretty good, actually. It's, I heard uh, that. It's a, return to, it's a return to form to the classic uh, Castlevania style. And I, I, you can't really download it now, but it's it was pretty good. Yeah. In fact, um, Konami's entire line of those Rebirth games were really good. Huh. Contra Rebirth was really fun too. Yeah, I think. And no, no one really talks about them. I think Castlevania: The Adventure was a remake of Castlevania: The Adventure on Game Boy. So that's one of the Game Boy games, right? I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that the one with Sonya Belmont? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Yeah, we really need a collection. Like any time really, soon, yeah. a, a big Castlevania collection. I would love that. So, oh yeah! Imagine imagine a collection that goes across generations too, or, or consoles. Like you get Symphony of the Night, but you also get like the DS trilogy, like Dawn of Sorrow and a, a Order yeah. of Ecclesia, and that would be sick. I'm just saying, Symphony of the Night on an on, on a Nintendo platform would be a landmark thing as well. I mean, we've, <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think it was on 360. I think they had a an arcade yes. port for that. Yeah, they did. Yeah, uh, but it's never been on Nintendo. Which is, and it's funny because there's three songs from Symphony of the Night on the the Smash soundtrack. Right. So, yeah. Uh, one of them played in the direct, I think, when they were showing off uh, Alucard. I think so. I, I might. I think so too. Sure. I, I would need to listen closer, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And uh, yeah, I want a collection. Like I've thought about a collection for a while. It's like collection one, all the standard like adventure style uh, Castlevania games. So one, basically one to Rondo of Blood, Bloodlines, those games, mm-hmm. uh, and then. Uh-huh. Second half is all the Metroidvania ones, where it's Symphony of the Night to Dawn of Sorrow. <laughs> Though Dawn of I mean, they've got to be doing something with Castlevania. I mean, they they, they renamed their so. Netflix series. Um, there's huge representation in Smash. Mm-hmm. Something's happening. Please come on. I think success. so. You got the success with Super like with Bomberman of all things. People want more Castlevania. At least throw us a collection. You saw the hype cycle with uh, with mm-hmm. with Smash. So please, please let it happen. Like I even like I actually did enjoy Lords of Shadow, the original. I've not played Lords of Shadow two. I hear that is a oh, massive my. step down. But I actually yeah, I heard enjoyed that it, like the original one. Mm. I, did did Kojima direct that game? He had some. Kind I, of he, was a he had some involvement. Yeah. 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 And it's done by Mercury Steam, the guys who did Samus Returns. So Oh right, yeah. So yeah. these guys we know these guys can make good games and 
The thing was, even when I was playing Lords of Shadow the first time, I thought it was just okay. And then it got to this, like, whip mechanic where you can switch between, like, change its, kind of like its polarity, like either light or dark or something like that. And for whatever reason, that mechanic really opened the combat for me, and I started to get into it. Like, it's like, I, 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 okay, I know what it's going for. It's not the Castlevania I know, but the combat is fun, and I'm enjoying myself, and... Yeah, I just wish Lords of Shadow 2 was actually better because <laughs> it's it's kind of yeah. cool how they remix the mythology around for the series. Yeah, um, Lords of Shadow, was it Mirrors of Face on 3DS? Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't that bad either. Yeah, it was pretty got good. a bit of a bad rap. Yeah. And I actually it seemed very it average, Trevor. though. It, yeah. it was average. Average is the right word. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not bad, um, but it, it's a decent um, return to form for Castlevania. Yeah. I think it's, it's just, I think it came out of... I think the problem was, for at least for me, I don't remember exactly, but I think I remember thinking that, okay, yeah, I would like to play this, but at the same time, it seems so average, and I think it came out at around the same time as a lot of other games that were not average, and that seemed uh-huh. a lot better. Yeah. So it was just like one of those things I never got around to, because I'm like, eh, I could play things that seem like they're a lot better. <laughs> I, I did it for yeah. reviews, so that's why I ended up playing it. And Oh, right. Again, I like the storyline stuff they did with this, since Mirrors of Fate actually tied in more with the classic Castlevania stuff, because, you know, at the end of... Uh, the uh, Lords of Shadow DLC, you find out that um, the character, the Belmont you play as, I forget his first name, but um, he, uh, maybe Gabriel, I think Gabriel Belmont. Gabriel, I think it yeah. is, yeah. He actually, be- he's the one that becomes Dracula at the end. Right, uh, right. And then with Mirrors of Fate, you find out, uh, you know, he had a son with, uh, with you know, before, and that, that that's actually Trevor. So Trevor goes to fight and uh-huh. take care of him and whatnot, and he left behind his son, Simon. <laughs> so the right. first part is Trevor exploring the castle, something happens, and then Simon explores the castle, and then you play as Alucard, who in this continuity actually is Trevor. That's really huh. cool to me, like to have that, that is pretty connection. Cool. Okay. Like, that's that's a sorry, I hit my own desk. <laughs> God, I'm getting animated here. Um that that's a cool way to remix the mythology, I think. Yeah, it is. I agree. Although I still wish that, and it's never going to happen, but I do wish that we could still get that in the original mythology timeline. That 1999 yeah, AD game Julius. is Julius Belmont. I want that game so much, even now. Never going to happen. Show how I, he traps the castle in a moon, in the moon, in the eclipse. Like I want to know. <laughs> and that still, to me, it stands as one of the best twists and 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 directions they could have taken that original timeline in with Soma. Being becoming the new incarnation of Dracula, but not even knowing it for most of the game, and mm-hmm. you're playing as him. Like that's so cool the way that's done, and and they made it feel very organic and and not at all tacked on. Yeah, and like you got the Alucard there is like there was a really a lot of really as yeah, clever, Aricado. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> I love they call him Genya Aricado. It took like, me get so here. long to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so good. Um, I, I Don Don of Sorrow isn't as good though. Unfortunately, no, it isn't. Although I do, I do have a question. So for both of you, so if they do, if they are, they are doing a Castlevania collection, which I kind of feel like they they must it know it's, to it's it, I think it's going to happen. But it's, assuming they are, and assuming Symphony of the Night is included, which I think it would be, do you want the original voices or do you want the new PSP remake voices? I want, an I want option. the original voices. Yeah, me too. I want I want an option, <laughs> but I want the but if I can't have an yeah. option, original. Yeah, I agree. I'd rather have the option, but yeah, you got to have that the, the original. And I do love how they called back to that in uh, Richter's reveal trailer yeah. for Smash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so good. Alucard has a great voice. <laughs> he does. He really does. Um, but yeah. 
Well, let's this go. does remind me. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, really quick before we move on. This does remind me of uh, talking about like rebooted series. I actually have been uh, around all this Smash Ultimate work and stuff. I've been nursing a playthrough of Tomb Raider 2013 because I never I liked it back in the day, but I never finished it. Oh. And it's looking like we're going to get a review copy of Shadow of the Tomb Raider. So I was trying to maybe you know I'd like to have the context of playing through 2013 and Rise of the Tomb Raider before that if I can. So I don't know if it's going to happen, but I am attempting to play through the first two before shadow comes in if we end up getting it mm-hmm. and uh-huh. uh i'm i'm having a great time with it like and i i liked it before when i played 2013 and i'm just about now at the part where i think i stopped playing before uh right after the radio tower oh, okay. and i'm uh-huh. i'm playing tomb raider definitive edition on my ps4 pro and it's aged remarkably well it's it's a great looking game and i mean the gameplay itself is quite standard for the kind of game that it is it came out at the time that it did but there's nothing wrong with that i mean it's very much a standard kind of you know, linear action adventure game, but at the same time, I don't really find anything wrong with that. And you know, you you get skill points, you spend them on cool moves, and it's 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 standard, but it's fun. I mean, yeah. it, the way the world is laid out, especially in that game, is almost Metroidvania's, or at least kind of close to yeah. the Arkham series, because you do get uh, improvements to help you explore places that you couldn't reach before. Right, mm-hmm. so. but yeah, no, I'm just I'm having a good time with it, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it, uh, you know, to, to to comparing the experience to Shadow of the Tomb Raider uh, when it, you know, if mm-hmm. assuming we get the review copy, which I th- I'm thinking we will, because I just did a preview or I got a preview opportunity, which we still may do a discussion about. Yeah, but, Smash kind of ruined that, but Smash totally derailed <laughs> Smash that. Ruining by, everything for I know. <laughs> I do love how he had to push out my Okami review because literally the the it came, the oh, embargo was an hour. Yeah, after, an hour right. after Smash, like it would have gotten. <laughs> Buried. <laughs> yeah, no way. I, I do. I do want to hear your thoughts um, when you get there on the ending of the first Tomb Raider. Okay. I, I kind of feel like the sequels undermine it a little bit. Oh, yeah. interesting. Um, okay. All right. The, the thing because uh, the sequels kind of build up. Like they they continue this thing of like Lara finding herself and being and uh, becoming the Tomb Raider, and I don't know. I, I feel like she's already became the Tomb Raider. Yeah. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. That's what it feels like to well, me, and then yeah. you sort of regress her a little bit so they can grow her a little bit more in the next game with uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. And uh, I th- Rise of the Tomb Raider is better mechanically. Like, it is a lot more... I think it improves upon a lot of the things that the original did. But, God, mm-hmm. I, can, I can barely remember the story. Like, I... Really? Okay. Yeah, That's what I've heard. Strokes. I've heard the story kind of is, isn't isn't is interesting in the second one. But I will say that uh, I'm I'm at my parents' house for the weekend because unfortunately uh, we're having some problems with our dogs and I'm having to help take care of them because one of them's probably not long for this world. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. however, um, the upshot of that not really the upshot of that, but my parents have a uh, a 4K TV and I don't have one. I have a 1080P screen. So because I'm going to be here this weekend helping to take care of the dogs and such, uh, I brought my PS4 Pro. And so I'm going to be just having, you know, having a nice time sampling various games, including Tomb Raider, on this giant 4K TV here, which I just haven't really had a chance to do much of. <laughs> uh, so that should be fun. Kind of along those lines, I got my, I actually uh, splurged and got myself a 4K TV for my office. Right. The office room. I love uh, that. Not huge. I, I actually went a little smaller because I had a 65 inch before uh, that was in my living room for my old place. So I was a little farther back. But with the way the size of this office, uh, I felt it was a little too big for the size of this air, the, the size of the room, so I went down to a 55 inch and uh, got but got 4K and I think it 
God, that's clear. Like, I'm only using a regular PS4, and I put, a, a friend was over, and he wanted to see some Uncharted 4, and I'm like, holy crap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I'm time to save up for a PS4, PS4 Pro next. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, even having a 1080p screen, I've, I have found the improvements to be worth it. So you definitely will, having a 4K TV. And, yeah, I think you'll, you'll definitely be happy with that investment when you get around to it. Mm-hmm, definitely. But uh, well, let's go ahead and jump into our news topics this week because somehow we've already we've talked an hour just catching up. Like I know like, you think with Smash there wouldn't be much else going on, but apparently not. <laughs> Seriously, um, our first bit of news comes from today actually, and is like really cool. And I'm actually gonna put this over to John because hey, Doom Eternal is coming to the Nintendo Switch. Yes, yes, it is. Hell <laughs> so, yeah! Um, the, the, the first Doom. Um, this is no hyperbole. The first Doom is probably one of my top ten games of this generation. It is such a good shooter, mm-hmm. uh, one of the best shooters ever. Uh, it's up there with Half Life. It's up there with the original Doom. Um, I just love Doom, and um, what I love about Doom Eternal is it has a grappling hook, which <laughs> and, and we put shotgun. grappling hook in any game. It makes it better That's on awesome. the shotgun. Exactly. I'm thinking about my favorite moments in Uncharted 4, and um, they're, they're all to do with the grappling hook. I think a grappling hook just makes a game even better than um, than it already is. But yeah, yeah. Um, this when they, were sh- when they were showing this off, they didn't actually announce that it was for Switch when they were first showing it. Um, and they were showing these crazy ambitious areas, which were uh, far more um, massive in scope than the original Doom. Um, and now enemies also, when you shoot them, parts of them will fly off. So I was sort of thinking that like, all of this is way too much for the Switch. But then they announced the platforms at the very end, and Switch was part of them. And Panic Button, who are the studio who ported Wolfenstein 2 and the original Doom, they're back for this one. Um, so th- these guys are just wizards. I have no <laughs> idea how they're going to get this game on Switch, but they're doing it, apparently. I, um, uh, yeah, and they, they also included Gyro in the original Doom and Wolfenstein 2, so there's no reason to um, expect that it won't be in the Switch port for this as well. And I've got to say, I actually preferred Doom on the Switch, mostly just because of those gyro controls. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. they, they they really elevate the combat system because Doom has some of the best combat in the in the industry at the moment. Oh, yeah. And when you can move your controller around and just sort of um, rapidly explore uh, the room that you're in, it really elevates that. And Doom Doom's a very fast game, and to be able to move the controller around to accommodate that is just perfect for that. So. I'm definitely going to pick up Doom Eternal on the Switch, uh, and I just can't wait to actually see some some footage of the Switch version because it's just such an ambitious project <laughs> to take this this AAA PS4 game and put it onto this tiny tablet. And I, I still can't quite believe they did it the first time with the original Doom. So to see what they do with Eternal is just going to be crazy. I'm yeah. I, I I still need to go back and actually finish the the Doom 2016, but. God, I had fun when I played it. <laughs> it was so yeah. visceral and exciting, and just I loved what they did with it. And to see it just get expanded upon with Doom Eternal, like I am, I am there. Like I need to finish the original Doom before this comes out, and I, I, I got to pick between the graphical fidelity of the PS4 or the controls of the Switch, and that's that's gonna be tough. <laughs> That's yeah. my problem, is that, like, I, I did some of the preview stuff for uh, Doom on Switch, the original Doom, and I hadn't really played the played it before, and I'm like, wow, I, I'm not a big shooter guy, but I definitely have played quite a few shooters growing up, and I have my favorites and such, and I think the thing that struck me most about when I was playing Doom 2016 on Switch was that I'm like, 
this feels so old school. It feels mm-hmm. like it's it's so uncomplicated. It's, it's there are, are all these but, you know, not a bunch of cinematics, not a bunch of complicated combat. It's just it's it feels very much like an old school first person shooter made today. Yeah, and I love that about it. And and I'm having the same problem as Derek though. Like I really do want to play it as well as Wolfenstein one and two, but I keep like putting it off because I cannot make that decision between you know graphical fidelity because it's not like one of those games it looks a little better on on other consoles and it looks way better so it's like i'm <laughs> yeah, having a hard time yeah. it's like it's a huge <laughs> improvement so i'm like man do i really want to play it on the big screen and have that graphical fidelity with ps4 pro or do i want to have it in a, in a, a, a portable context and it's really hard for me to make that decision i, I think the console like the, the ps4 graphical experience is slightly winning right now but Mm-hmm. I think probably only because I already have so much on my Switch and I already have to archive stuff when I download new games. Right. So that's one of the one of the reasons. But I really do want to play these games as well as the, the Wolfenstein games. And hopefully by the time Doom Eternal comes out, I'll be ready. Because, yeah, I'm not the biggest, the biggest shooter guy, but what I played of Doom 2016 is exactly what I like about shooters. Just yeah. uncomplicated, straightforward, get you right into the action. It's gameplay first. Like the, yeah. the entire time, it never really lets go of you. Just well, I mean, you, you're the one who's always in control in Doom. Um, there is story going on, but a lot of the time is happening in the background. So you really have to stop and take it in, and you don't have to do that. I and mean, you can just keep pushing forward and slaughter all these demons. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there, there is story happening, but you can just disregard it if you want to. Uh, and the thing is, the story's actually pretty good as well, so if you do mm-hmm. want to take it all in, there's tons of lore to soak in, and that's what I love about games when they, when they, don't, tell you the, when they don't tell the story directly, and you have to sort of earn it. Um, mm-hmm. It makes you a bit more invested, I think. Um, oh yeah, and- absolutely. Like Metroid Prime is the poster child for that. Like oh, I, yeah. more than more than any major set piece, or it's funny. Like of all the things that stand out in my mind with that game, more than any major set piece or boss fight or gameplay mechanic. The one thing that stands out to me in that game is the the, the logbook scan you get when you mm-hmm. talk about how they're trying to reverse engineer Samus's power suit. And you're like, <laughs> oh, you know, you know, our, our engineers have have, uh, left, have been left, you know, horribly disfigured trying to, to re-engineer <laughs> Samus Aran's power suit, and we we we're really not really making much progress. And I'm like, it's so good, it's so messed yeah. up, yeah. it's so good. I also love the, the fear great at that. that they talked about with yeah. when it comes to Samus. It's like, yeah, they oh, that's so great. They are just like terrified of her. <laughs> like it's yeah. the hunter yeah. is coming. I think is how they refer to her. It's like, oh God, that's awesome. But, yeah, uh, I also love in um, in Super Metroid right at the start, you can just sort of run through the room and not really take notice of what's going on. But if you exp- if you like, just look at what you're looking at. Like, just take a moment to look at the screen, uh, and you'll just see like dead scientists on the floor, and you can just run past them and take no notice of that. Um, but it, it's, it's just that little extra detail that um, rewards you for taking a moment to actually soak in the environments. And Doom's just fantastic at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I do, like, uh, I agree with you guys. Grappling hooks make pretty much any game better, and that, that does remind me of how much I like the Skyhook in Bioshock Infinite, despite the oh, fact yeah. that it ended up being used much less than they were originally going to use it. But even how they did end up in, implementing it was really cool. So anything, any sort of grappling or line hook, whatever, that, that makes games better across the board, I agree. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't, I can't think of a single game that's been worse. Like, is, <laughs> is there a bad game with a grapple hook? Does it exist? I mean, that was kind <laughs> I don't of what the... So. Uh, what uh, Bionic Commando was designed around. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. The original one. I mean, my favorite part of, uh, of Twilight Princess was the double claw shot. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that's, that's, just, that's, that's just the best part of the game. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, 
And the funny thing with me is, you know, we talk graphical fidelity and all that for, for Doom, like I'm maybe leaning towards the PS4 version uh, for that. But for, like, um, Dark Souls, I'm still waiting for the, the Switch version instead. Like, for, oh, for yeah. whatever reason, I was like, no, I don't really need to pick it up on PS4. I want to go on the Switch for whatever reason. Yeah, I think that's, that might be because Dark Souls will probably look like Dark Souls no matter what. <laughs> yeah. It, it was yeah. a last-gen game. Exactly. Uh, and the Switch version seems to hold up really well. And we, we've demoed it, both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of us have demoed yes. it. Yeah, we all have, um, I think. Yeah, and uh, in handheld mode, it's, it looks really good. Yeah, it's surprising it's not out yet because it felt complete. Like, it really did. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> it's really I mean, weird I, what's going on with I, that. I got to um, demo Blighttown, which we actually had to take that video down because we weren't supposed to... Well, there, there, was, there was some confusion with um, the embargo there from Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, but Blighttown held up really well. I mean, we can talk about it, we just can't show it. Um, yeah, but Blighttown held, held up really, really well, and it felt finished. So I don't really know why it's not it, on store shelves. It has to be an October or November game, right? <laughs> It's got to be. It it's better be. be. Soon. You can't beat December because no one will play it because Smash will be out. Yeah. So it's got to be. It's got to be before December. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, next bit of news is <laughs> this will be interesting and probably not talk too long about it, but the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog movie has cast Ben Schwartz as Sonic. Jim Carrey is confirmed to be Robotnik. Tika Sumter, I'm not sure who that is, will be the female lead. While James Marsden is a female, uh, is a female, is a small town <laughs> cop named Doug, and Al- Adam Pally is as, as his fellow cop, with Neil McDonough as an unspecified role. And apparently, according to the plot, they're racing like uh, James Marsden and Sonic are racing across the country, going after Robotnik to get back Sonic's ring. Oh man! I, what? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a that Get doesn't sound like a strong rocks. story. His rings, basically. <laughs> oh, which... I think it's his brain. No, his <laughs> ring. <laughs> that I would now, watch that in a second. Is, that's way more interesting. Yeah, no, that uh, in a second. But yeah, so he's got to get back his rings. Not even like, a chaos mode. His freaking ring. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm going to see this because it's a, it's a combination. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to watch it because it, it is a live-action, combination live-action CG Sonic movie, which just has every reason to be terrible. But And it's it, no matter what, whether it's good or whether it's bad, it's going to be hugely entertaining. I think we already can, can make that conclusion. But then yeah. you've got the Jim Carrey factor, which Jim Carrey is just weird and off the wall anyway. But to have him as Robotnik, I can't quite even see it because Jim Carrey himself is so thin and lanky. Well, they got him in a and, fat suit kind of for the grand. Oh, sure. But so. I just I just want to see it. Like I just yeah. can't quite see Jim Carrey as Eggman, but I really can't wait. The man I, handles I'm a makeup bit disappointed. well. I'm disappointed that Roger Craig Smith isn't Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. He's been Sonic for so long. Uh, he's even Sonic in Wreck-It Ralph. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't really picture anyone else um, as like replacing him at this point. He's been Sonic since Colors, two thousand nine. Uh, yeah, since Colors. Sonic it, Colors. Yeah, yeah. Which I, yeah, yeah I don't know why they would do that. It's, unless they just wanted a, a bigger name attached to it. But at the same time, Ben Schwartz is not a big name. It may, <laughs> maybe is just to people who have watched his stuff before. But in terms of general Hollywood name recognizability i oh yeah i heard that name and i've not watched uh parks and recs i'm like who (laughs) like i don't oh he's from parks and rec i I think he's from parks and rec yeah (laughs) now i will say that the last time we got neil mcdonough in a video game movie we got bison performing a live abortion so this could work out really well this 
This could work oh, out really, really well. The movie. <laughs> it was so bad. But you know what? That could work out really well. He's, he seems to just make whatever movie he's in a lot campier. And, you know, a Sonic movie should be campy. So yeah. that, that excites me. Either way, this movie's going to be ridiculous, whether it's good or not, and I'm looking forward which, to it. Which is going to be the better uh, movie, Detective Pikachu or Sonic? <laughs> I think oh, it's, man. I think Detective Pikachu is going to be the better movie, but Sonic's going to be the more entertaining movie. <laughs> I, I, I completely, yeah, you could not have said it better. I think that's exactly what's going to end up being the case. Oh, goodness. I think, I think um, Green Hill is the name of the town in this yeah. game. It's oh, like a small town called Green Hill. Yep. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> oh, man. This is, yeah, this is going to be a mess, but it's going to be so fun to watch. It's basically, it feels like the Dragon Ball movie where it's like we're taking these names and attaching them to these things in the movie, but they don't match anything you know about these characters. Oh, yeah, but I mean, but, and that's true, but despite that, Dragon Ball Evolution was hugely entertaining in its badness, and, you know, Sonic could do that as well. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, we've been talking a lot about Smash. Um, but it, the, what's really been entertaining is seeing a lot of the uh, rare developers uh, react to the fact that K. Rule is in the game, and one of them, Steve Mails, is actually is made a little bit of a headline because he actually wished he'd given K. Rule a better name. Now that he's actually in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, which I kind of disagree with. I like K. Rule's name. Maybe it's because I grew up with it, but I think it's it works for their style. <laughs> I think yeah. it all, yeah, I never had a problem with it. I think it kind of works, yeah, it works for that DKC rare kind of sense of humor, and I never had a problem with his name. Yeah. Well, one of my friends only realized today that um, K. Rule is a pun for cruel. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's, it's funny that people aren't realizing that, like, even now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so funny that people are only now, or some people are only now picking up on that. That's great. Mm-hmm. I, guess they, I guess he thought it meant rule as in I rule over you since he's a king. <laughs> Well, I think, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a double... It's like it has several different meanings, which is why I actually do think it's kind of a cool name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't really picture another name for K. Rool. Like, if you just called him, like, Big Old Croc, it wouldn't yeah, exactly. have the same kind of ring to it. Um, well, and plus it kind of, it, you know, it goes in with the theming of the Kremlings and, and having every other... or Many of the Kremlings have their name, names beginning with K, like Crusha and Claptrap. Like, it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we got Captain K. Rool say, um, all that. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been a big fan of K. Rule's redesign, and not not the Smash redesign, the one they they used after uh, Donkey Kong Country Three. Mm-hmm. So they his, his redesign, they got rid of the golden belly and just sort of gave him this this pale skin stomach. Uh, I think they used that in um, in some of the spin off games, yeah. and I I thought they just undermined so much of K. Rule's design, and um, this new Smash one. Is just such a return to form. Oh yeah, uh, they they nailed it. He looks so good in this game, and and perhaps the best slash worst part of of that whole trailer and the reveal is that man, it makes me want a third Donkey retro Donkey Kong Country game with K. Rule and the and the Kremlings and the villain roles. Like I want that. I already wanted it, but now after seeing K. Rule reimagined in 2018 in Smash and how great he looks. I'm like, I really want this in a legit Donkey Kong Country game. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'd be awesome. Especially, I think that made me one of the most was that final shot of the CG trailer where they're running oh, at each so other. Like, good. like, oh my God, like the intensity of K. Rule and DK coming at each other. It's like, yes, I want to see that. That is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but I, there was, was one, oh, go ahead. I, I was kind of on the on the side that didn't think K. Rool was going to make it into Smash because mm-hmm. he's been he's not been in a game for a decade, 
Um, but after seeing him in action, it makes me kind of feel like Tropical Freeze was missing that that memorable antagonist. Because Tropical Freeze is my favorite game in the series. But uh, the, um, the the giant... I can't remember his name. The, the giant snow thing, um, he just isn't that memorable. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel like, as Ash was just saying, we kind of need a third retro game with K. Rool in. He's the missing piece. Yeah. I, like, yeah, but you know, who's, you know great, who's the missing... The, fi- that, the final boss was very, like... Yeah. Oh, uh, Lord Frederick, right? Or Henrik or whatever. Fort Frederick. <laughs> I think it... Well, yeah. No, I totally agree. But speaking of missing pieces, it's now more evident than ever that Dixie is missing. We have a giant <laughs> Dixie-shaped hole in the Donkey Kong representation in Smash. And I'm really, really hoping, even if she is just an echo fighter for Diddy, I don't know exactly how that would work, but they could make it work. But I am uh, I am in that camp that really hopes that there's, you know, like Sakurai is building a narrative here where the very final shot of that direct is K. Rule burying Diddy and Dixie, or sorry, uh, Donkey Kong and Diddy. And so I'm really hoping that next direct we get Dixie coming in to save them and like, you know, giving K. Rule a wallop. Like, I oh, <laughs> gotta have Dixie in there. She's she's so oh. important. And she can use like her guitar. Um, if, if she's, oh, if she's yes. her own character, it could be her attacks. If she's an echo, it could just be her taunts or something. Yeah. But she needs to have that in there somewhere. Uh, I, I just Dixie needs to be in this game. I don't. Oh man, it's just and she's in Tropical Freeze and two. So I mean, like she's a, an important part of this cast. I mean, it's yeah, it was absolutely. honestly kind of weird seeing them reference Donkey Kong Country the way they did because yeah, we got K. Rule back, but the fact that they were referencing the the eye bulging from those games as well. Like that was yeah. amazing yeah. to see because you just don't see Nintendo talk about that, that aspect very much or the, that characterization of Donkey Kong that much. They sort of did their own thing. And this was right. very much in the line with those DKC games. I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One, one thing I will say is if Kitty Kong is a echo fighter of Donkey Kong, then I'm not buying this game. <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> well said. Kitty Kong never needs to make another appearance ever again. <laughs> I completely think, agree. I don't think there's demand for Kitty Kong. <laughs> you know, you know, I there's someone much. out there. Oh, there is yeah. someone out there who's like, "Oh man, Kitty Kong, the best possible newcomer." Someone out there, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, uh, speaking of games coming to the Switch, uh, we have Child of Light and Valiant Hearts coming to the game, to, coming to the system on. Uh, October 11th and November 8th, respectively, uh, with Ubisoft also potentially teasing A Child of Light 2. Now, I haven't thought about these games in years because it's funny they're coming out together again because they've always sort of been attached to hips uh, because they use the same graphical engine. And I've played both. Both are very good games. I don't know if I'm going to double dip for them, especially Valiant Hearts. Like, it's, that's a good one playthrough game, but I don't really feel the mm-hmm. need to play through it again. It's it's a fascinating game. It's, it's I highly recommend it. Same with Child of Light. But I'm also not sure if Child of Light holds up anymore. It's been so long that it might be just a little too simplistic now. Um, but A Child mm-hmm. of Light 2, like, hey, I'll take a look at that. I have always I wanted of- it. Oh, good. I kind of want to buy Child of Light again. I mean, I, I loved it on Wii U, and it's been so long that I kind of want to give it another shot now. But as you said with Valiant Hearts, um, that's that's a one-and-done game. I don't really need to do that one again. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, a Child of Light is always something that really seemed like it would appeal to me, and I really tried to go play it a bunch of times, and I just always got sidetracked by something else. But this may be the, the chance for me to go back and play it, because it just in, in terms of the kinds of games I like and the kinds of aesthetics and just the, the themes I like, this really seems like a knockout for me. Like, I, I would be shocked if I didn't really end up enjoying Child of Light. 
Yeah. I, I think you'd probably get a kick out of it. And, hey, maybe if it – I mean, Child of Light 2, why not? I'm, I'm, I'm there for it. Don't really have much to say about it because, again, I – the funny thing is I remember liking the game, but I also can't remember, remember a lot about it. Yeah, the the art's kind of the biggest thing, mm-hmm. and it is kind of surprising that Ubisoft haven't done more UbiArt engine. Um, UbiArt, yeah, it's yeah. called UbiArt, isn't it? The, the engine. It's kind of it's kind of surprising they haven't done more of those because Origin, Origins, Legends, Child of Light, Valiant Hearts, they all look stunning. Um, and I, I I just want more games using this engine. I mean, we've got to have another Rayman at some point. Oh yeah, we totally Hopefully. need to. <laughs> yeah, I want another three D Rayman. I mean, I love Rayman too. It's one of my favorite three D platformers. Mm. I need to go back and play that. Um, I haven't played that since PlayStation 2. I wasn't a big fan of Rayman 3, but Rayman 2 is just is really special. Hmm. Nice. I know it's yeah. imported to everything, so it's almost a surprise we don't oh, have yeah. Rayman 2 on the Switch. <laughs> I don't know if it's as good as Bubsy 3D, though. I mean, uh, really now. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, true, true. But, um, yeah. Well, we were talking Dragon Quest Eleven earlier, but Square Enix says, has said that the development on the Switch version is pro- progressing smoothly, and they've hinted at a possible TGS reveal, which it'd be the first time we've seen anything running on of Dragon Quest Eleven running on the Switch, because uh, they've only ever talked about it, never shown anything. Um, yeah, so. it'd, be, it'd be the first positive info since they announced the game that was coming to an end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. I, I, I'm I, yeah. curious what style, like, I don't, like, looking at this game on on the PS4, and uh, no, just seeing all of that, I'm like, I don't know how they're going to squeeze this game onto the Switch. But, again, we're getting Doom Eternal on the Switch, so maybe it's possible. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, they might go for more of a style like Dragon Quest XI on the 3DS and just upscale it from that. But I'm not positive. I don't know what they're going to do with this. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I think the reaction would be quite bad if they did that. True. I think people are kind of expecting the full fat uh, HD version. Yeah, I think so um, too. Yeah. Though, I mean, the, the reason it was delayed was because of issues with Unreal Engine 4, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that, that that's since been updated quite drastically. Uh, I think Fortnite recently has shown quite a few different optimizations since it first launched. So maybe it is possible to port uh, Dragon Quest Nine over and still have it be quite um, comparable. Yeah, or Dragon Quest Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, hey, I, hey, I called it <laughs> eight call earlier. It <laughs> yeah, I called it eight <laughs> earlier. So yeah. Oh, that's the kind of game. That's another one though that would be really hard to choose because I would love to have a game like that in a portable form, but at the same time, having done previews for Dragon Quest Eleven. Oh, it is so truly a beautiful game. I've, like, it's stupidly gorgeous. I have not had a chance to boot it up with my new television, and I cannot wait oh. for that to finally happen. <laughs> that's going lo- to look amazing. Because it blew me yeah, away. Yeah, I mean, it is, a, it, is a, it is a fully featured, you know, it, it's kind of a rarity in, in the sense that it is a full traditional console JRPG. But, you know, done in 2018. You don't see that very often. Oh, man. And the details on the houses, like the villages, yeah. like the places I've gone huh. to. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, it's kind of like the like an even more extreme version of the inherent appeal that a game like World of Final Fantasy had because it was like an old school JRPG but with like modern console style visuals. But you know that was still that was also a transplant from the Vita as well. So that was a you know dual release on the PS4 and Vita. But this is like straight up fully you know focused on a console release and it looks incredible. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. 
seeing screens of, like you got to see it on your own TV because my god. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the last bit of news we got this week is uh, Mega Evolutions have been confirmed for Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. And I really don't have a lot to say about this because we knew the Alolan forms were in. I guess it makes sense that Mega Evolutions are going to be there, which, unless they change the way it works, when, considering they've already mentioned the fact that Mega Evolution requires Keystones and uh, the actual Mega Stones, it looks like Hold Items are back in the game, so that's a thing. That's cool. One thing that's, that's kind of interesting is Pokemon Go doesn't have Mega Revolutions yet. So I, I, I don't even know how it would really work in those games, but I wonder if this will also become a feature in Pokemon Go as well. Cause I don't, yeah, there's, there's no real use for that apart from, I guess, gems you can use Mega Stones I, yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they have gems. Mm, they, yeah. they talked about how they're, they're, they want to get the PvP in the game and go by the end of the year. Which sure neotic. <laughs> I don't believe. I don't believe that. One, I don't believe them at all. Two, it wouldn't be that fun. The combat in Go sucks. The combat, yeah, it does. I mean, they have to to their credit in the interest of fairness, they have actually added things like trading. Like they said, they oh, would. Yeah. And they and actually the trading have. works, but. Though. Yeah, but like, yeah, the battle system in Go sucks. I agree, and I wouldn't even want to engage in that. Yeah. So, like, you could maybe, I could maybe see Mega Evolution for that, but I don't really, I don't see that being a thing. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cool that it's there, but and a, a good chunk of Mega Evolutions do come from Gen 1. Like, we'll have Mega B Drill or whatnot. And some people have wondered, are we, are we going to get new Mega Evolutions uh, because of this? And I kind of doubt it. I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I doubt it too. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> do it's going to be a major yet? feature. <laughs> I can't recall. Do we know yet if they've confirmed uh, Z-moves for the Let's Go games? No. They have not, I don't okay. think. I feel like if Mega Evolution's coming, I feel like Z-moves are going to come back, too. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that, too. Yeah. Though, uh, yeah, the, the interesting thing about this, although, is I guess it kind of adds a bit of post-game content. Because so far, uh, everything is sort of mirrored Pokemon Yellow. Actually, I want to talk about that very briefly. Um, they, they showed the, um, the third gym recently. Mm. And the bin puzzle, where you're meant to sort of search every single bin to find a switch to open the gate, that has been simplified so much. Um, so now the bin with the switch in is coloured. So there's a bunch of grey bins, and then this is one green one and one red one, and you've just got to go up to those and press the switch. And to me, that that isn't a puzzle anymore. That's just, that's just a button. Yeah, it's just like, hey, do this grunt work before you can actually challenge a thing and granted it wasn't much of a puzzle in the original either yeah it was still something though (laughs) yeah i i am for every good thing you see about like let's go there's also something that makes me a little worried and it's 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 the epitome of a game that i just i cannot judge until i have it in my hands i really can't right Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That, that 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 bin puzzle is the thing that's bummed me out most with Let's Go, though. So I've been pretty optimistic so <laughs> yeah, far. Yeah, that's but... pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. That works. <laughs> yeah, it, it is very minor, but it's just it's it's like it's showcasing what kind of uh, design they're going for, and it's just, it's just far too simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see how that all goes, but yeah, I mean it's it's an it's. It's a weird thing. It's definitely it feels experimental in, in a lot of the ideas that they're going with. So we'll see how it all ends up. But it also makes me very curious. Just what is Gen Eight going to be like? <laughs> yeah, ho- yeah. Hopefully they um, hopefully they get a bit more risky with um, not not just their their challenge, but also their 
their overworld design mm. too. I would love uh, to see yeah, that. I, I just don't, I, I don't want to have a puzzle that gives you the answer. <laughs> that's, my, that's not yeah. a puzzle. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I will say I'm, I'm looking forward to Let's Go in a context I didn't expect to be, which is that uh, because it's like the first ever co-op Pokemon game, like I'm actually really looking forward to playing it with my wife because it's we both like really like Pokemon and she really likes Gen 1. Like she was you know, really attached to the original 151. So... This just seems like a really, really cool way to enjoy a Pokemon game together, and that's not usually the kind of thing I'd be excited about. Like, yeah, co-op, but Pokemon specifically, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah, especially because you don't need to wait for or anything like that. You can still have progress, and you know, she'll, she'll, you pick up somewhere, she'll know where you left off at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope that stays for Gen Eight. I think that'd be a really cool thing to just keep for Pokemon forever. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. I, well, I hof- don't hopefully, know, maybe. Hopefully Gen 8 does for Pokemon what people thought uh, Breath of the Wild was going to do for Zelda and that it's the timeline convergence game so that we get, you know, <laughs> all this confusion with the, with the different the two different timelines in Pokemon. This will be the game that makes everything make sense. No, it won't, but <laughs> I mean, that'd be really cool if it was. I mean, uh, Alpha Sapphire and Omega Ruby in their, their chapter Epsilon or whatever the heck it was called was like, basically it was like, oh yeah, there's totally multiple dimensions. <laughs> yeah. Like each... Gen, each color is is a different uh, world, essentially, like multiple dimensions across time and space. Like, sure, uh-huh. I can buy that for the world of Pokemon. Sure, easily. Yeah, can't can't Giovanni now travel through time? Oh, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> he them. does. Like a Giovanni that a Giovanni that was actually successful in his dimension tried to take over Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon's dimension. Sure, why oh, not? And he also <laughs> grabbed uh-huh. like. These guys, like uh, the the villains from their successful dimensions as well. It's like, okay, Pokemon, why not? I'll go with it. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is that, uh, is that Giovanni is young Xehanort. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's the ultimate reveal here yeah. is that they've been the same all along. Totally. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into our Patreon topics for this week. As always, for just $1 a month, you guys can support us on Patreon. Get these podcasts three days early every Friday, as well as offer, offer up topics like the ones we have here, and get access to our uh, VIP room in our Discord. So, uh, Ash, John, do either of, uh, either of you want to start first? Uh, why don't you start us off, John? Okay, so my question comes from, I think it's Chris, is it Zhang? Duong um, or Duong? Yeah, yeah Duong, I, yeah. maybe. <laughs> He says, um, hey guys, so after watching John's Under the Superscope, it made me think about uh, video game design and how somehow got to the point um, where I was wondering about uh, what goes into a box art for each game. What do you think box art should convey about a game without spoiling too much? And what do you think are the best and worst design box arts? Thanks for answering my question and keep up the good work. So this actually came up um, with in our chat not too long ago where we were talking about the differences between different uh, regional box arts. Um, we'll get into your question a bit more specifically in just a moment, but um, I loved how uh, the Mega Man X8 <laughs> box art in Europe is just so boring. <laughs> I mean, it's the most boring thing ever. Oh man, yeah, and not just that, but like all every Mega Man box, like Mega Man Zero Three and Zero Four, they were all like these weird Photoshop hack jobs <laughs> compared to using the official key art that you got in other regions. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a tough question, because um, I think video game box arts are incredibly important. And um, when you have a game like as, as magnificent as Eco, and then you have the North American box art for it, <laughs> it just does not do it any justice. Yeah. And uh, I think the, the European box art for Eco um, fully represents that this is a very artistic game. 
um, and it does so by using elements from the game. And actually, when you look at the American and the European box art for Eco, they both share very similar traits. They all have, they both have the windmill. They both have the carriage on screen. Um, just they do it in such different contexts. Like it's, the execution is just completely different. Um, but yeah, when when you have a box art, I think it needs to have the tone of the game in there. So the Final Fantasy game is actually really interesting because they just have the title, uh, and I think that that kind of invokes part of the series in a sense. Like in, in Final Fantasy games, they always have the composers on the main screen, uh, and I think this is this is very solemn. Um, look at the franchise so it's not something many franchises could do like not many not many games could just have a white logo <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a white background even with their logo on the box yeah um and it's something actually bravery default kind of did with um with its with its icon on the switch i guess that's kind of invoking final fantasy there but um yeah you can you, there's definitely a lot of bad box arts <laughs> and usually they're just it, they do not resemble the game at all um yeah, and I think one of my least favorite ones is probably it's probably Eco, but <laughs> I've already used that. So let's let's go with something else. Um, I, I don't like um, the Resident Evil. I, I don't want to keep um, knocking on the American box arts, but I don't like the Resident Evil Four box art in America. Hmm. Um, yeah, in, in in Europe, it's this. Um, it's like a, a silhouette of the Chainsaw Man in a forest, and uh, that that just gives you what, what you need to know about this game. Whereas in America, it's just close-ups of Leon, um, with all the uh, the villagers surrounding him, which I guess you know that that does showcase the game quite well, but it doesn't necessarily give you the vibe. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, no, I agree. And also, you got the uh, action to go ahead, Derek. I was going to say, like, I, I I totally agree with you because it's, to me, good box art is evocative of the actual game. Like, it really gives you that sense of what the game is going to be like and going to be about, and uh, talking more about bad North American box art, uh, the Legends games got screwed by those. <laughs> uh, like it's just a close-up of you know, ba- you know, almost bad 3D renders of uh, Mega Man Volnut. But then you look at the Japanese artwork, and it has yeah. so much personality. And I love, I love Legends Two box art. Uh, it has this just. This- this darkened sky that everybody's looking worried into the into the horizon. You get the, all these characters uh, that you're going to be encountering throughout the game. I think that's one of the best box arts out there, and it sucks that it's limited to Japan. Um, like I, I think that's really what it does. And it's also like, let's take a game like Phalanx, for example, in the SNES. Good box art or bad box art? Everybody remembers the game because of that box art. <laughs> the game yeah. itself is completely forgettable. Uh, and for those of you who do not know what Phalanx, Phalanx is, uh, basically it's a space shooter in the much the same way as Gradius or R-Type, except the boxer chose a spaceship flying over a f- hillbilly with a banjo, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, so, um, but it's memorable. <laughs> where, do you, where do you guys land on um, Ocarina of Time 3D's regional box arts? That's what so I was going to bring up, actually. Okay, um, yeah. well, I'll, I'll let you take it on then. Well, it wasn't just that either. There was that. There's kind of a uh, a stint there where Nintendo of America was just like dunking every box art for a new Zelda game in like a gold filter, and it was like really annoying because you got that in Skyward Sword as well. And personally, I thought it was a a step down across the board. It's like Ocarina of Time 3D's box art in Europe was beautiful, and then you just have basically kind of the same thing, but in this gold kind of 
filter thing. And they did that for A Link Between Worlds as well, and Skyward Sword. And mm-hmm. it was they were clearly trying to evoke the original gold cartridge in Zelda 1 and 2, and that's fine, but that's not that's not what your focus should be. Your focus should be on selling the game at hand. No one really cares that, yeah, you had some gold cartridges 20 years ago. I have, I still have mine. It's cool. But that doesn't mean you should make that the design ethos for all your box art for Zelda going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like with, with most European Zelda box arts, they go for the sense of adventure. Like it's, it's very, very vibrant colors. It's yeah. always Link sort of um, in the overworld. Like, look at Spirit Tracks. Um, in in the European one, it's Link and Ghost Zelda riding a train in this very vibrant forest mm-hmm. um, area. Whereas in the American one, it's just this weird grey background with Link and the Phantom looking very angry. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is another thing about box arts. Um, the localizations usually go for a more angry one, especially with Kirby. Kirby, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they only recently started making him cute again, which <clears throat> I think they realized is like, okay, people are people are okay with cute. It, it works. Uh, yeah, it, it's a really weird thing how the, the regional differences that come into box art and um, some I don't know. There's like the me- most memorable one is a is a striking image is or like some kind of striking image. I think those always work the best and really worm your way into your head because um, I love Majora's Mask 3D's box art. Like it does not have the gold mm. filter. Has that one's all really these characters. good. Yeah. It has the moon in the background. Like it is so good. Yeah, what I love about that too is, as you said, it has everyone in the background, and that is totally what the game is about. It's a game about mm. the community around you, like connecting with all the NPCs, and you you ab- you absolutely get that in the box arts. Yeah. One example, one one uh, example of a box art that is both really good and really bad that I find interesting is Chrono Triggers because it's a great action shot. It's Akira Toriyama doing what he does. It's, it's amazing art. It shows a cool battle sequence. You've got you know you've got a double tech or a dual tech going on. It shows gameplay mechanics. At the same time, Marley uses ice, not fire. <laughs> so you've got you've got Marley casting a fire spell, and it's like it's so not reflective of what actually happens in the game and yet it actually is because you've got chrono and marley using a dual tag it's just the wrong element so it's it's kind of weird how it's both an example of a really good box art but also a really bad one because such an obvious thing was not researched beforehand or even caught during the production process mm-hmm. it's just like this is a cool to image keep, <laughs> yeah to keep it on square um i don't like final fantasy 15's box art because me neither it makes yeah, sense no. <laughs> it's so <laughs> stupid I, I, I like that the on the road that that shows you what the game's about yeah but all the characters are doing things that don't make sense in the context of the image <laughs> not at all it's so one, bad one of, them's, one of them's pointing towards um like the, uh, one of them's like pointing towards you the player one of them's jumping over a car um uh, they're, they're all just doing very different things that do not make sense and i don't like it <laughs> yeah like i mean even even noctis like the the pose it's supposed to be a cool action pose with him and his engine blade but the pose doesn't make any sense. Like, why is he even in that pose? He's in this weird kind of awkward turned around stance. And then you've got these, you've got Gladio, like, pointing like a doofus at these giant astral god type things in the clouds above them. And he just doesn't seem like it's that big a deal. And I'm like, no, man, this is a really big deal. You've got these giant gods looking down on you. And then you've got just Ignis just kind of standing there. And then I can't remember. I think Prompto's the one going across the car. And it's just, yeah, it, it's, it's a really badly considered set of action shots and i don't know why they yeah it should have been them literally it should have been a back shot of them walking down the road 
as they're pushing the car along. Yeah. And and Gladio's yeah, Gladio's holding the luggage and they're just walking side by side, Ignis in the car. That would have sold it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been good. It should have been that. Yeah. And, and uh, on that note, Final Fantasy, I think Final Fantasy 13 had a really disappointing U.S. box oh, yeah. art because it's just lightning and one of her key art poses just kind of looking off into the middle distance at some, we don't really know what she's looking at, but she's kind of looking slightly upward, but that's all it is. Yeah. It's just lightning I, I, looking. And it's like, <laughs> you could have the same box art, actually. Um, oh, did they? Up, up until then, um, all of the European Final Fantasy box arts were white background with the logo. But um, 13 was the first one to have some art on it. So we had lightning. It's still a white background, but lightning sort of in the middle somewhere. Huh. Is, was that the same one? Was it, is it Maybe. I think so. No. I, I don't remember. Because the, the okay, one I'm talking about is literally just a, it's a white background with key art of lightning just yeah, posing I think, I think and looking. Yeah, I think that's the same oh, okay. one as oh, okay. the one, actually. Then, yeah. yeah. Then, but, but in Japan, of course, it was that, that plain white. It was that serious DNA of the plain white background with just the logo. And as you said, John, not many... And series or franchises could get away with that, but people know that. They, that that's the, the visual DNA of Final Fantasy. Yeah, and they kind of use that for Final Fantasy VII, and that is like, like super iconic, just that, that image of Cloud looking up at the Shinra Tower. Right, mm-hmm. right. And that's what the game's about, you know. I think that's what makes a strong box art. It has to represent the game, but also sell you on the game at the same time, which is ve- that's a very tricky balance to um, show you something that you don't know. Uh, I think it's something that you appreciate more when you actually start playing the game as well. Mm. Um, I, I mean, it, the, Me- the Mega Man box art we haven't properly talked about. <laughs> I yeah, know. I was going to say we like we have to talk about the original Mega <laughs> oh, Man box God, art because that's just both the both the best and the worst box art ever. Maybe just because I mean, e- even getting past the wildly bizarre interpretation of Mega Man being a middle aged dude in blue and yellow armor. The, the gun that he's holding, it's not even a buster, he, the gun is just placed on his hand in a completely unnatural, it doesn't make sense, it's so bad. And it's, and it's not even the North America, it's not like Europe got away with decent box art with Mega Man either. Oh, like, yeah. I th- what is it, Mega Man 3, where it's the like freaked out Wily face above everybody? <laughs> yeah. And Mega Man 2, I think, where, where Mega Man is in the European box art, where he's got, he's just this, in this silver, shiny silver armor, and he looks like a, like a 45-year-old dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he yeah. just a, and it's like, wh- how did this even, where do you play the, the NES game and get that from that? <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I did love how uh, Mega Man 9 actually had a legitimately great yes. box art. No, yeah. that was, it was still trying to invoke those, those bad ones. But yeah. it did a great job of it. Yeah, really I liked that it had that as a joke as well as like the legit box art with the actual character designs. And Ten brought that back and gave us a, a really cool interpretation of bass done in that kind of like 80s hair metal bizarre, <laughs> bizarro style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I, I, I think the box art for 4, 5, and 6 are pretty bad too because you get that weird chunky Mega Man face. Like these, like like his cheeks are too sharp for me or something like that. I, I've never liked the yeah. like Even as a kid, like not playing Mega Man, I'd see advertisements for for Mega Man in magazines, and I'm like, that face is weird. Because <laughs> he had those really rosy cheeks, and it was just, yeah, he had, like the really plump-looking face. I will say that they were starting to get closer to the actual design with six. Yeah, it's still too, it's still too weird in his face, but they're they're getting closer. But then seven kind of takes another step back from that, where it's like he's he looks almost like he does in the Ruby Spears, Ruby Spears Mega Man cartoon, where he's kind of buffer, and he's got this weird M on his belt. He, oh, well, right. first of all, he has a belt, but then it has an M logo, and it's like, what? wait, how did that? How did you guys get that? Yeah. So, Ash, what was your first Mega Man? Uh, three. So, do you do you remember going up and picking up that box and saying, "I want this game"? 
No, because I, I I remember how it, the way it happened was I had rented Mega Man three from Blockbuster, and and I I think I actually rented one, two, and three from Blockbuster at various times of my childhood, and I remember not understanding. I remember thinking that okay, so I'm selecting Snake Man. Why am I not playing as Snake Man? Like, why do I play as uh-huh. this other? And I wasn't <laughs> understanding that you were going to fight them at the end because I wasn't good enough to get to the bosses that it, when I was that young. Uh-huh. But then uh, I but I liked them so much that I eventually asked for. A Mega Man game for Christmas, and the uh, the latest one at that time was three, and so I didn't really have a chance to look at the box art, you know, to to have me get invested because I think I just had already rented it and I knew I liked it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, uh, I, was, I was wondering, like, maybe if you, you, the first one was your first Mega Man, and you like you were in a shop, you're like, oh, that looks really cool. <laughs> like, no, not at all. Must have done that. Yeah, yeah no, not at all. And I think I think even back then, I remember seeing the first Mega Man one, you know, the, the box art for the first game. And even then, as a kid, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what? why is the gun drawn <laughs> in his hand? There's something and, yeah. wrong here. <laughs> yeah, and then and I love how like for as many different box arts as there are for the retro Mega Man games, you have a completely different take on how old he is, his general build, mm-hmm. his the the look of his face. Like the Mega Man Two American box art, he looks completely different. He's a, he's a di- completely different middle-aged dude from the guy in the Mega Man 1 American box art. Like, how? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't quite get it. I, I will say, though, as far as simple designs that don't reveal really anything about the game, it's just enough that you need to know, is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. That is the most threatening Ooh. Eggman has ever been, where it's just him yeah. crushing the two underneath his hand. He looks threatening with his like eyes and whatnot. And then you just have Sonic and Tails hanging out together, and that's like it doesn't convey anything about the game other than Eggman's back and he's more of a threat. And Sonic has a new buddy, yeah. but it's still like I think one of the most iconic box arts of all time. No, I, that's I a that's that a really crush. good one. Yeah. So what what are your guys so that, so just to finish this off? Mm-hmm. What are your favorite box arts ever? Because I'd say mine is probably I think Eco is just a piece of art, and it, it shows it showcases the game so well, and I think that might be my favorite box art. Hmm. Oh, it's tough, and it might change day to day for me. But honestly, I I, I love the Japanese Mega Man Legends Two box art. That one is really good, and I, I'm going to throw out the entire, or I'll say Mega Man Zero, Two, Three, and Four, just because that. That artist is maybe my favorite in all of video games ever. Like, the Mega Man Zero art style is just mm. mind-blowingly good. And I actually felt so bad for what happened, you know, what you guys got with the European box arts for the Zero series, John, because that, to me, is an even more egregious, you know, crapping of all over the franchise than the original Mega Man box arts, because the identity hadn't quite been coalesced as much yet. But then you've got these gorgeous Mega Man Zero box arts, and the, the character designs are so good. And then you've got those, again, those Photoshop hack jobs where it literally looks like lifted fan art lifted from, like, some amateur Tumblr or DeviantArt <laughs> or something. And it's like, why would they do that? So yeah. I really do so love nice. the box arts for Mega Man Zero 2, 3, and 4. Those are up there. Um, I'm trying to think. i got to hmm, – trying to think. Smash Ultimate is going to be one of them. Oh, oh, yeah, that's, yeah. A really that's Actually, I, was, I was just thinking, I love Breath of the Wild's box art. Yes. Um, more so the American one. The the, the uh, European one kind of looks like a, a vacation picture almost. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would actually say the Breath of the Wild American box art's up there for me. It is one of the best. Because, it, again, it, it, it tells you everything you need to know. You've got Link, you've got him looking out at, at Hyrule Castle, and you've got the entire expanse of, of the world before you. And, and that tells you everything about it. Yeah, and it's, it's actually parts of the world you can see in the art as well, like from the game. And I, I don't think very many um, game arts do that. Like, it, you can actually see every single landmark 
from that picture, which is just it's crazy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I also really do like the uh, I like the I think it's the American box art. It's definitely the Japanese, but I think also the American box art for uh Mega Man X5 or at least the key art for Mega Man X5 because it's got that it's that really dramatic like Oh, where he just shot has the... of all of them at war and yeah, oh, like I, I you got think an X, X and the cool action shot and Is it X5 uh, or X6 that has uh, Mega Man with the zero saber in front of him? It's X six and it is as crappy a game as X six is. Cool that is cover. a really cool box art. <laughs> it is because he looks really cool. You've got Zero in the you know the, kind of the space that anime the, you know, that typical anime thing where you know Zero's dead and you've got you can see him <laughs> in the stars and X is holding his saber and looking all you know emotional about it but determined and but X five I like because it, it really sells the idea that it was originally supposed to be the last X game and X is all scuffed up. He's clearly taking a lot of damage and Zero's got you know one of the parts of his helmets torn clean off and you can tell that they're coming to their final final battle or at least what was supposed to be their final battle and it has the uh, the other they're flanked by the supporting characters like alia and cygnus and it just and it shows i think the eurasia colony or just the general state of the earth being a wasteland by that point and it just kind of it, it, it sells the mood of the game and the setting of the game very well mm-hmm. high stakes yeah high stakes very much until x6 happened <laughs> <laughs> all right well do you want to take the next topic ash or should i Sure. Uh, I can go next. So uh, my topic this week comes from Matthew Walters, who says, Can you guys discuss why you cover leaks? I just think that in the case of Smash, you have Masahiro Sakurai literally breaking himself to spoil Smash fans rotten, and the only thing he wants in return is to know that when his directs and news updates come out, we are all pleasantly surprised, and it disappoints him greatly when things get leaked. I get it that you guys need to get views and that leaks and rumors get views. Thankfully, you don't cover much of the latter, but just something to consider for Smash especially. I'll always love you guys, though. Keep up the great work. So thank you for the kind words and for the question, Matthew. And I picked this one because this is something uh, I got on Twitter, too. Uh, I got a little blowback on this because, yes, we had to report on the Nintendo's accidental leak of the Castlevania music in advance of the Direct revealing Simon Belmont. And I basically put out a tweet saying, hey, maybe stay off Twitter and the internet until tomorrow morning's Direct if you don't want to get spoiled for a potential newcomer that got leaked by Nintendo. And, you know, I got a few snarky responses like, oh, yeah, you know, you're certainly not part of a team of guys who just, you know, you broke that news forever for everybody and, and you know, highlighted the leak for everyone. And it's like, okay, sure, I get what you're saying and I get why that could seem hypocritical. At the same time, we have jobs. Like personally, <laughs> yeah. if, if it was up to me, personally, I don't like the idea of reporting on, on that leak. And I and I did it with a mixed with mixed feelings because like obviously Andre, we wanted to get it up as soon as we could and it's breaking news and I was going to do it. But I actually did feel bad and I do feel bad. And personally, if it were up to me, those kinds of leaks would not be reported on at all. However, the, the practical side of that is we have jobs to do, and if we don't report on that, a billion other people are going to anyway, mm-hmm. and then we lose out, and we're the only ones who lose out. So it's like there's that practical side where it's like we got to do it because everyone else is, but at the same time, it does go against at least my personal feelings that I would – I agree with you, Matthew. I would rather not have that stuff be reported on because I want those surprises to be – Saved for people, yeah, and for Sakurai as well. well you got off easy, honestly, because you got you because like, <laughs> we're in a policy now where we try to uh, cover up these leaks as much as possible. You know, not actually spoil right. them for people because 
even in the thumb, Andre made sure to use a character that had no relation. It's it's the shadow of Captain Falcon, who has nothing to do with with Castlevania. Uh, although he did tell us that some people were like, "You showed a humanoid." That's a hint. That's, That's exactly yeah. There were people still complaining. Exactly, about that. no matter what. Like we are trying our best, but the thing is, as you said, it's our job. But we like back when Ryu and Roy were leaked for Smash Wii U, we didn't have any of that. We just. Here it is. Like here, like here's the big thing because the thought process on our part at the time was again more along the lines of what you said there. Where if it's not us, it's going to be somebody else. Like it's out there. It's nothing we can do about it. So there you go. And then of course, the feedback does affect how we do this. Is okay. Okay, this is a step too far. Let's go back and like make sure it's not in the title. Make sure there's like enough of a hint that you know what you're getting into for the thumb. Like with the whole thing, it's like hey character potentially with this that's what you know if you don't want to know it stay away like and that's the thing it's like it becomes more of a choice there but you're all but you're right the reason we cover these leaks is it's our job like um even nintendo themselves they don't consider us um influencers they consider us press we are press in in, in the grand scheme of things for a lot of companies not not influencers like you like a lot of other youtubers out there and that's that's what we kind of consider ourselves as well. Like we, we really do straddle that line between the influencers of YouTube, YouTube, and then the game press of everybody of like the bigger companies like Kotaku, IGN, Destructoid, Polygon, what have you. We, we are very much in the middle of that. So it's, 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 a, it's a tricky thing, but we, I do believe that if you look at how we covered things early on where we were spoiling the final boss of the of a game in the thumb on the first day uh, <laughs> launch you know as soon as we were able to there you go to where we're at now where we're not no don't even do videos of the final boss anymore and uh, make sure thumbs don't spoil anything and try to make sure the the title is just right so it teases but it doesn't spoil it is like we've made a lot of progress in that in that time <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's a tough balance. Um, but, you know, again, we, we do these videos because people want to watch mm-hmm. them. Uh, equally, some people want to avoid them, obviously, and I think we do quite well to allow that. Um, but, yeah, th- this is, is a big topic when a Smash character gets leaked, and people do want to discuss them and know. Because it, it, it's still a surprise to learn a leak, to, especially when it comes from a source as... Uh, reliable as Nintendo themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, so even if you aren't seeing it in the presentation, you know, no, knowing that Simon is in Smash is still a surprise to some people. And there is a lot of discussion to be had around rumors and speculation and leaks. And for some people, I think that's part of the hype cycle. Um, but yeah, I, I, I personally, I, I'm probably biased, but personally, I think we do quite a good job masking <laughs> it. As you just said, Derek, mm-hmm. um, we've improved a lot. And if you don't want to know about leaks, uh, I think we've we've made it so that it's it's fairly manageable to just not click on those videos. Yeah, I mean, and at the same time too, this is going to sound callous, and I don't mean it to be callous, but it's you know it isn't it isn't our job to cover up Nintendo's mistakes. It just isn't. And if you know if if Nintendo accidentally leaks something, that's news, whether we like it or not. And you know, Matthew, for every fan out there like you who, you know, is like, oh, you know, we'll think of Sakurai. And I agree with what you're saying. I totally get that that side of it. For every fan out there like you who thinks like that, there is another fan who would say, well, Game Explain, you didn't cover this leak. Now I can't trust you to deliver news that, you know, that I'm looking forward to on time. Like, why didn't you cover this major, major leak? 
And if we say, well, it's because we didn't want to run afoul of Nintendo and we felt bad, then it's like, well, wait, then why are you getting all buddy-buddy with Nintendo when it's your job to report the news? Mm -hmm. So it's a very fine balance for us to strike, and I totally get what you're saying, and I wouldn't ruin any of Sakurai's surprises for the world. And and to this day, I'm so uh, happy that Cloud didn't leak. They, I, I'm so glad that didn't leak. And, and really, yeah. in the grand scheme for this this leak itself, all we knew was Castlevania content was coming to the game. A song was coming to the game. Did that mean a new character? Right. Did that mean a stage, a cis trophy, what have you? It, it's it's it could be really anything. It, it didn't nail it down. And most people, of course, assume Simon, us included, because that just made the most sense. But they still found a way to utterly shock us during that direct, and that's. That's yeah. a sign of a good review. With Richter as well. With Richter. No one knew yeah. he was going to yeah. come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a balance to strike, but I do think, as, as uh, you guys just touched on, Derek and John, that, that we have, we've struck a nice middle ground at this point by reporting on leaks when they happen because we have to, but at the same time not revealing things for people who don't want that. Like, we didn't mention the song titles in the title, in the title of the video. We didn't mention Bloody Tears. We didn't mention Castlevania. We didn't even mention Third Party, I don't think. So we really did try to keep it as vague as possible, but at the same time, at the end of the day, we do have a job to do. And if we don't do it, other people will, <laughs> and they'll get the views that we could have gotten. Oh, yeah. So... Like, again, it's it's one of those things you got to find, like, what's worth it, what's not. And ultimately, we decided that the final boss videos aren't worth it. Compilations, maybe, because, uh, you know, that has a bit more of a purpose. It's not just, here's the ending type thing. Yeah. Um, and, it, but the, obviously, there's, there's a market for people who want to see those spoilers right away. Yeah. And personally, though, it would be my, my uh, preference if there are no more leaks, be it yeah. by Nintendo or anybody else, and that, you know... We just find out about everybody, the, these characters at the same time you all do, and that would be my personal preference. I don't want leaks to happen. Mm-hmm. Ditto. So, all right. Well, for my topic this week, it comes from Critter XD, who says, Hey, Game Explain, been a Patreon since the beginning. Jeez, that's him, that's him and also me, because wow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, seeing K. Rule introduced in Smash brought me so many memories because he was the first final boss I ever fought. So he's the most memorable to me. I wanted to ask what your guys' first or most nostalgic final boss is. Thanks again for releasing great content. Well, you're very welcome, Critter. Thanks for supporting us for so long. Like, yeah. that's over two years now. That's crazy. Um, and I, I thought this was a fun topic because, you know, everybody likes to think about their final boss or their most nostalgic one. And, uh, well, my first boss was Bowser. Like, I played playing through the yeah. original Super Mario Brothers, uh, getting to that, finally getting to the World 8 Bowser and... Uh, having to get through there, and I, I can't. I, I'm positive I've told this story on the on the uh, <laughs> podcast before, so I'll keep it short. But basically, uh, I was running low on lives, maybe maybe even my last life, and I was small Mario when I got to Bowser, and I'm basically like, I I can't get close, I can't get close. How am I going to do this? And so I just take a leap of faith to try to jump over Bowser at the last moment, and I just so happened to get Mario between two of the hammers that he had thrown. So I snuck through. I hit that sweet spot, got over Bowser's head, landed on the key, and won the game. (laughs) And I remember it so vividly because I I threw the controller down, screamed all around. I was like, I did it, I did it, I did it. I beat the game. First game I ever beat. I was so happy. Um, Just really, really cool. And as for the most memorable final boss, uh, or most nostalgic final boss, I should uh, Sephiroth. Because first RPG and oh, yeah. it took a lot of work to get there, because 
the first time I played Final Fantasy VII, I got all the way to the third disc, opened up the, you know, opened up the crater and everything like that. Then I had a memory corruption, lost oh, all no. my save data. So I had to do it all over, all over again, and I restarted the game. I like unlike today, where I'd be like, "Well, I got to do something." Like, no, no, I need to see the end of this. So I started from the beginning, and granted, I think I had a better time with it the second time because I actually understood what what I was doing. Uh, it was cool to see moments that they were, you know, hinting at before. Like I like appreciate it a little better, but to finally work through a second playthrough to get to finally get the Sephiroth and see that fight and all those forms and that music was like okay this was worth it <laughs> this was totally oh worth yeah it. yeah so I have a similar story to you uh Derek which I'm pretty sure I've told before so I'll keep it uh short but same thing for me my first ever final boss was Bowser uh the original Super Mario Brothers but at the time I was four years old and I didn't no, he was his name was Bowser. So my mom and I just called him the Dragon, and <laughs> I also didn't know. You know, I thought that again, I had no context for video games. So I thought that when we got to World One Four and beat quote unquote the Dragon, that was the end of the game. <laughs> so you know, like I had tried so hard to get to World One Four, and and you know, my, my mom was like, we, we were playing together, but I quickly you know got into video games way more than she did, and so she was watching me. And, you know, we were, like, so excited because I finally beat the dragon. Yeah, we beat it. We beat the game. The game's over. Yeah. And then we see World 2-1. And I, I will never forget, like, oh, man, there's another world. <laughs> it didn't even occur to me that there would be another – there would be something beyond World 1-4. I mean, it makes sense. But when you're a four-year-old, you don't think about that. And I was like, oh, man. And so it wasn't until significantly later that I ended up being the World 8 Bowser. But, uh, yeah, so I, uh, for me, it was like the dragon, you know, like, <laughs> oh man, I beat the dragon. But in terms of nostalgia, um, I gotta, I gotta throw out a mention for Kefka because, wow, the way that final boss battle takes place in Final Fantasy VI with the multi, the multi-tier god fusion tower thing, and then Kefka himself with this, you know, the, the angel wings and the, you know, it's very, uh, overtly religious Im- imagery with the, like the lights beaming through the clouds in the background, but it was such an epic way to end that game, and it was again that multi-tiered boss fight with the music changing as you beat and you go through the different tiers, and even more than Sephiroth, I think I have to uh, I have to throw it out to Kefka there, and also I would say the Lavos Core mm-hmm. uh, from Chrono Trigger, just because. The way it's done, and the, you, the, you, there are so many ways you can fight Lavos depending on how you choose to end the game. But I did it by, uh, you know, like doing all the side quests and then, you know, going through and, and not crashing the the epic into his shell, but actually fighting the shell and then the interior and then the core. And just the way that you're you're going through each era of time as you fight the Lavos core, and you're trying to figure out which ver- which of the three targets is the real core. And it's so well done, and it's so memorable that. Yeah, Super Nintendo RPGs, like those final <laughs> bosses. Like I, I'm thinking mm-hmm. now, like Gygus. That's another one that I would have to throw out there. Yeah. Gygus, just in general, for every obvious reason, because it's. I actually remember the first time I fought Gygus uh, as a kid, like I was about eleven or twelve. I, I lost, and I because I didn't, I couldn't figure out the prey mechanic, like praying to damage Gygus, and so I eventually lost. And I remember being so deeply disturbed because I think I played the first time I played. I, I tried to beat Gygus and beat the game was at night. By myself, oh, and geez. that's that's terrifying on a good, bright, sunny, happy day. That's already <laughs> scary. And so I remember being so disturbed by that that I didn't. When I lost the first time against Gygus, I didn't pick up and beat Earthbound and actually beat him again until maybe a month later because I was so <laughs> deeply disturbed by that whole experience. And of course, it was so worth it. But Gygus stands out in my mind as being an incredibly 
memorable final boss because I mean, God, it's terrifying. It really is. Yeah. So, so did you play Gygus? I'm sorry, did you play Earthbound um, on its original release or was it a virtual console? No, original release. Okay, so you couldn't just like look it up. No, I couldn't look it up. That was before the <laughs> internet, so I did. I really didn't know. Then I think I went back and, and had a better handle on what to do, and I beat you know I beat Porky, and that was a lot easier. And but it, it was it was the first time I just got up against that wall where I didn't realize that you had to pray. And I think I did mm. eventually realize it, but I think because it had taken me as long as it did to realize that, I I had already kind of drained all my my psychic point reserves and my items. So I think I got to like the eighth prayer, and then I lost mm. because I just had been fumbling around for too long. Yeah, it's such an obscure mechanic that. Yeah, because you never it's use it. I love it. a lot too. <laughs> yeah, well, um, if you if you pray in other battles, like leading up to that, it it usually hurts you more than it helps you. So it's like right, right. <laughs> you just ignore it, and it's like, oh wait, I actually have to do this now. Yeah, I, mean, I, I played Earthbound um, when it came on Wii U Virtual Console for the first time, um, and actually, I didn't look it up myself either. But um, it, it was it was something that took a long time. I I, I played Gygus maybe three or four times before um, before I realized that my attacks just weren't really doing anything at that point. Uh-huh. Um, and then you, then you just sort of try and exhaust all your options. And I don't, does, does prayer do something the first time you use it? I think you have to use it twice before it does I think something. it's, yeah, the first um, time it just says there was no effect or something. Right. Oh, yeah. That's so <laughs> mean. Yeah, it's yeah. really mean. Because <laughs> you're like, well, it didn't work the first time, why would it work a second time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it's funny though. I also do remember the, the, in terms of my kind of the nostalgia aspect. I remember having completely forgotten that you give the game your name. So I mm. remember, you know, when when you're doing the prayer and, and then it, you know, the prayers reach you, the player, and it, and it matches the name that you put in. I had completely forgotten that I'd given the game my name, and I remember being really creeped out. Like, wait, <laughs> why does the game know my name? This is really scary. And then eventually, I figured it out. But I had completely forgotten about that. <laughs> That's pretty good. What about you, John? So my first final boss, it's also a Mario game, but it's not Super Mario Brothers. Uh, it was Super Mario Land. Oh. Um, so my, oh, okay. my first system was a Game Boy. Um, and um, yeah, so Super Mario Land was my first game that I finished. Um, but actually, today, I don't really like Mario Land, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of interesting. I, I, a, lot, a lot of people love their very first games. But I go back to Mario Land, and I, just, I do not like how he handles. <laughs> and, At least you can uh, beat it in 30 minutes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, obviously, when, when you're younger, um, that, that you can't do that. that that's like a huge task. Mm. Um, but nowadays, you can go through Mario Land just without like, breaking a sweat. Um, but yeah, it, it, was, it was very triumphant. But looking back on it, uh, it's kind of underwhelming, I think. Uh, it's, it's definitely something that is it's more... It feels like a greater task in my memories than it does playing through it now. Mm-hmm. Whereas I can still play through Super Mario Brothers and um, beating Bowser still feels good. Whereas uh, in Super Mario Land, I don't really think I get that same feeling. Um, so I am nostalgic for it, but I wouldn't exactly say that I still love that game. Um, but as for my, my most nostalgic final boss, it's between two Ganondorfs. Um, I love Ocarina of Time's final boss yeah. I think that's one of the most epic conclusions to a game uh, I'm talking about all phases there so you, you start off um, the, the, uh, the build up to the final boss where you're going up the staircase and um, Ganon's just playing on his um, on his organ yeah. and it's just gradually getting louder and the closer you get it's just this huge build up and that's, just, that's one of my favourite uh, moments in Zelda and then you have that sort of tennis match with him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and then it just it culminates in the entire building falling down, 
and then you go downstairs and you think you've beat him and all of a sudden he comes back stronger than ever and it's just this 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 last grasp um at uh, uh saving the world and apparently apparently in, in one of the timelines you just die <laughs> in, uh, in, in this one though it's just such this it's just such a triumphant conclusion to one of the best games uh and another one is actually the wind waker's ganondorf yes yeah. is the the tone is so different it's not it's not exactly it's not like the world's ending it's it's like a, it's like ganon's last uh attempt he, he's really desperate in this fight and Ganon, Ganon in this game is probably one of the best characterizations of Ganon. Mm. Um, Definitely, and it's such an intimate battle, and it's one that I think uh, I think of when I think of final bosses. Uh, what's actually interesting is I didn't uh, own an N sixty four during its initial run, and um, I played Ocarina of Time for the first time on the GameCube I, I did with the same um, thing. Wind Waker Ocarina of Time set. Oh, nice! Oh, oh, wow! Yeah. Um, so actually, that's interesting. So, which one did you gravitate towards more at the time? Uh, Wind Waker. I actually gravitated towards um, Ocarina of oh, Time more. Okay. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I always found that quite interesting. Um, Ocarina of Time is obviously it was the more dated game at the time, whereas Wind Waker was I mean, more beautiful, uh, larger in scope. But I, I still preferred Ocarina of Time uh, as a general, though. But between those two bosses, they're, they're so different. Mm. Like one, one of them is just this, this huge action set piece, and the other one is very personal. Just a simple sword um, fight in the end, really. Exactly, and I, yeah. I think that's, that's what I love about it. So, yeah, if I had to go with one now, I'd say I, I prefer Wind Waker's. I think that's, that'll stay with me more mm. over the years. I, I think the yeah, final blow that Link lands in Wind Waker is so much more satisfying than Ocarina of Times because you get slash with blood, slash with blood, and then finally into his head. And with uh, Wind Waker, when he did that special flip, I'm like, whoa. And then he planted it in uh, <laughs> Ganon's head. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I, I had so a good. very visceral reaction when I saw that from the first time. I was like, I, I think I exclaimed, holy shit. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah. oh, my. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, you know, what's, what's interesting, actually, is Twilight Princess does something kind of similar, where you, you, you stab Ganon through, through the heart, and he's mm-hmm. dead. But I didn't feel no. any impact from that. Whereas nah. Wind Waker's was just so you feel the blow. Yeah. And maybe it's because it's so like it's so different to the style of the game. This is like a, such a, a bright, colorful, cartoony game, and you just stab someone through. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's jarring. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's the, that in general is what makes Wind Waker so good. It's that juxta- that juxtaposition between the bright and colorful and cute art style with what's one of the, to my opinion, one of the darkest games in the series yet still to this day mm-hmm. uh, yeah i mean it's, it's a post-apocalyptic game really. yeah, just, like, all these yeah. Fa- factions surviving on their little islands it, it, it is very dark when you think about wind waker and the, and the interesting <laughs> thing with these like that stab in twilight princess yeah you stab him in the heart and you see him actually react like he's like you know basically well, honestly it's almost a little silly it, it kind of looks like oh okay so now i know what ganon's uh O face looks like that's that's wonderful, <laughs> but and but with Wind Waker he doesn't really react. It just sort of stands there as like and sort of laughs. It's like, it. huh? Well, yeah. yeah, that's it. And it's so good too because you kind of touched on this, John. But it's it's the, it's not anger or or a hero versus a villain that drives that final battle. It's more it's a perfect summation of the game's themes of the old versus the new and the new generation taking the you know the, the old generation passing the torch to the new and the new generation letting go of the old and it's such a perfect summation of that because Ganondorf was fighting so hard tooth and nail 
for that for that preservation of the old Hyrule that that he wanted so desperately to rule over. But that but his time had passed. The king of Hyrule's time had passed. Hyrule's time had passed, mm-hmm. and it was it was up to Link and Zel and Tetra and and the new generation to carry the torch and find their own way forward. And the way to do that was to sever the final link. Link that was not intentional, but the final <laughs> link that they all had, <laughs> that they all had to the old world, and that's such a it's so well done, and it just, it's not it's not about anger, it's just about the old versus the new, and it's so yeah. it's a perfect summation of that game's theme. Mm-hmm. I feel like so many sequels that came after Wind Waker have undermined that that so much. Like Twilight Princess, it came straight after Wind Waker, which yeah. just tore away all the traditions, and then Twilight Princess comes along and brings them all back yeah. again. Thank and you, fans, for complaining the, so much. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I will say before we, we wrap up, it's not necessarily nostalgia or because it's too recent a game, but perhaps my favorite, and I'm saying this for your benefit, John, perhaps my favorite final battle slash ending sequence of all time is Okami's. And oh, those God, of you who have yeah, finished the game finish know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's just, there's no way you get through that whole sequence without crying. It's just impossible. Well, Ash, you're cheating because Okami has like three endings. <laughs> That's true, but I'm talking about the no, real, no, truly ending, ending, and it's it is so. Oh man, I I will I wouldn't dare spoil it for anybody, but it's amazing. And those of you who've beaten the game know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. No, it was really good. Like I haven't gone back and played Okami in a while, and I I picked up Okami HD on PS4 before, like I think two weeks before they announced the Switch version. I'm like, well, crap. So now, yeah. now there's there's a real debate within me. Like, do I want the Switch version or not? Because I just got it on PS4. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, and you have a 4K TV as well. Exactly, so. so. Yeah. And I didn't mind using the brush mechanics with the, the analog stick in PS2 version, so. Oh, yeah. And it still works. I mean, it's still, my, it's even said in my review, it's still my favorite way to use it, so. Mm-hmm. so yeah. Cool. Well, I did not expect uh, this episode to go <laughs> for over two hours. That's uh, something. Wow. <laughs> well, it kind of helps make up for uh, us missing the a couple of weeks ago, just kind of unceremoniously, because we were all so busy with different projects. Yeah, if, if it, if somehow the, with all the Smash stuff, yeah, let's have a two-hour episode. Why not? <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening each and every week. Uh, as always, you guys can support us on Patreon for just $1 a month. Get these podcasts three days early every Friday, as well as offer up a t- as well as offer up topics like the ones we had here and get access to our VIP room in our Patreon. So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for episode 112. Till then guys, bye. <laughs>